and welcome to the Crash Chords Podcast. I'm Steve. I'm John. And I'm Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And how are we doing? We're doing. I'm doing. I'm doing. I'm whelmed. No, I think I could safely say at this point I'm a little overwhelmed, probably. Overwhelmed? Okay. By what? By what? Let's get into you, Matt. Nobody cares. Okay. Nobody cares. Do you guys care? Comment on the site if you care. Please send your care that, mail. That's an act. That's great. <laughs> yeah, right? He care really, mail. really wants you to comment on the site. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, right. Star if I'm looking at you. Um, <laughs> always him. Always him. Well, he's the first I go to because he's. I see him more interactive in the nerdcore scene and like a lot of the forums and boards I'm on. He's gotcha. on. Gotcha. 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 But uh, I haven't forgotten about you, Nakjaw, who recently friended me on my Nintendo Switch. So. Or Heather for her kind words about uh, Diamante Gloss. Apparently, we had a good episode that day. Apparently, I liked it. Yeah, it was a good experience. Yeah. <laughs> Safe, right? <and> alive. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, today is another experience. My goal with today's artist, uh, as is kind of usual for me lately, was certainly true with Diamante, was to find something new. But I had no category of focus this time. Like I think actually that was true with Diamante. I wanted avant-garde. I really did. And it was true with Snooze. I wanted Math Rock. Today I didn't really have a focus. I kind of just saw that this album did pretty good on Metacritic, and I listened to it in full and said, I'm picking this. <laughs> I have to pick this. It, it was a short list this week that I went through, but this easily leapt out in that crowd because we look at so much open-ended, abstract electronic music. John? You're welcome. You're very welcome. <laughs> Yet, we haven't really touched on IDM. And... I admittedly do not know a whole lot about IDM, so I wasn't expecting what I got today, and perhaps would, that's for the better. I would second that, as I too do not know all that much about IDM either. Well, Jalen is today's artist. Her real name is Jerilyn Patton, and she's from Gary, Indiana, which is very near to Chicago, and it is a Rust Belt capital, meaning there ain't a whole lot going on in Gary, <laughs> Indiana these days. That said, Jalen herself had actually worked in a steel mill. I don't know if that was in Gary, Indiana, or like in the surrounding area, so it must not be completely dead unless she was the last employee of that steel mill, like the very last before it shut down. Because normally when people say steel town, it's always in bygone glory. So maybe maybe they have one. Just one steel mill. It's like a mom and pop steel mill. I don't even know if that's possible. Also, <laughs> I mean, we must still have steel mills, don't we? Oh yeah, sure, but they never I think they left that area. Oh, okay. I don't but maybe not all of them. I don't know. I'm not <laughs> even beginning to be claim to be well versed on that, so I'm not even going to try. Mom and pop steel mills. Mm. Got your steel all bonded together. <laughs> Take it on your way. Thanks, Gramps. <laughs> anyway, she's been in her scene, the IDM scene since about 2008. I guess footwork also would be considered a genre here. IDM, footwork are probably the closest labels you'll get. I, I can't even confirm whether the whole Rust Belt thing has a, had a direct impact on her music, but that's why I brought it up, because in one source, uh, it was considered to have been an impact, and then in another source, she said it was pretty minuscule, all things considered. But yet people still love to hear that sort of thing and draw connections between the artist and the place that they're from. So just take it all with a grain of salt. You can definitely hear some other influences here. You can hear some West African African influence, perhaps that's just because it intersects often with footwork, and perhaps because footwork is a very Chicago thing, and she's from the Chicago area. So it's hard to separate, considering some of these rhythms. Often the percussion comes across as this like round of djembes, whether they're real or electronic or not, or just spliced and, and repeated, whatever, they're, they're there. But anyway, she took off in popularity right with her debut album, which is 
a little bit unorthodox. 2015 Dark Energy was the name of that album. Today's album, Black Origami, is only her second release, and it is further pushing her into the spotlight. And I'm going to tell you a little about it from her label's website and uh, and her bandcamp. For starters, she is an ex-sampler. It's common, some might say it's even an inherent DJ practice to utilize others' material for reference work, to compose with, to pay homage with it, but yet also call it your own when only a portion of it is. It's all a bit tiring. And I guess she thought so too, because she used to sample, doesn't anymore. Everything you hear, I think, in this album is original material, except for just a couple little sound bites, but not other artists' work. Uh, now, from the label, as I promised, on the website it says, because I think this is worth reading, Black Origami is a percussion-led tour de force. It's a creation that seals her reputation as a unique producer with an exceptional ability to make riveting rhythmic music. Black Origami is driven by a deep creative thirst, which she describes as this driving feeling that I wanted to do something different, something that challenged me to my core. Black Origami, for me, comes from letting go creatively, creating with no boundaries. The simple definition of origami Origami is the art of folding and constructing paper into a beautiful yet complex design. Composing music for me is like origami, only I'm replacing paper with sound. I chose to title the album Black Origami because, like dark energy, I still create from the beauty of darkness and blackness. The willingness to go into the hardest places within myself to create, for me, means that I can touch infinity. So she's got words. <laughs> not a lot of words in this album, but she's got words there. I will not go into the part where it explicitly compares uh, the tracks on this album to the very nature of origami, like track by track. I, th I think we're all pretty clear on that. It folding, crossing over, all that sort of thing. You get it. But uh, I'm going to stop here because literally all my spiels are kind of packed into this album, so I don't want to say too much in advance of it. I mean, that makes sense. Uh, I think that saying it's a percussion-led tour de force is an understatement. Yes. Um, based on my experience with it already, I think that <laughs> that hearing though those words now is funny to me, considering I would say to anybody who told me that now, I would mostly just go, "A duh." Yeah. You know, because it's very obvious from the very beginning. Um, I I was hesitant and excited when you said you were going to bring this album on, only because. My experiences with a lot of the the um, electronic music that John has brought on has been hit or miss. I've never really hated any of it except for the slow core, but we're not talking about that right now. Um, but a lot of it, you know, left me wondering or head scratching. Whereas here, I feel like I got a very different experience from the album. But we'll get more into that as we go through it. Let's chat a little bit about the album cover. And this one, sort of in the vein of K-Fly at least, feels like something based in the physical existence of the world because it is an origami elephant that's made what it looks like out of a metallic paper, but it could just be the coloration of the paper that makes it look metallic. Well, the only thing about comparing it to the K-Flake cover, that's a little bit removed, only because, like, that's pulling from objects that you find in everyday life. This is something that is, like, it's a it's an artistic representation of something artistic. Sure. And so to me, that's a, that's a bit removed. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm only comparing them in the sense that they're both physical objects that it feels like they're physical objects that were photographed i can't actually quite tell if this is a photograph or not but i get the sense that oh, it is i would absolutely say it is yeah just in this fact that it's an object that's photographed all right i get you but working within the grayscale color scheme you're you're first of all removing a lot of highlighting elements you yeah since it's only black white and everything in between as opposed to actually having the smorgasbord of colors uh it means that you have to pay a lot of attention to shadow work and this does a good job of actually highlighting uh, a lot of the more prominent piecing and this is going to start going into my 
you know, background in model building and things like that. If you, a process called dry brushing is where you uh, highlight colors by going subsequently lighter on the actual pigment coloration, Mm -hmm. but also lighter on the actual um, amount of paint that you're putting on an object, just touching along the outsides. It's a good way to create a three-dimensional effect using faux lighting because Mm -hmm. in any lighting it would look like the shadows are on the darker side Mm -hmm. in the deeper crevices without actually having to create shadow in it um it allows you to do a lot of three-dimensional coloration in just two-dimensional or two-ish dimensional uh schemes of material it also has a little bit of a, a washed out feel especially in the uh the darker tones in the in the more towards the black end of the spectrum that we're working with. So I, I imagine that this was also treated somewhat with an actual, maybe not airbrushing or something like that, but I don't think this was a black and white object or even a metallic object before it was photographed. One old school trick, just to do a little bit of a side, was to use red in black and white films because they tended to come out significantly blacker yeah. and it added to the overall effect. Or another trick was to use specific coloration such as uh, recently Tron. Old school, I was talking about this with a friend of mine. Tron actually had white suits with dark lining and they just polarized it. They inverted the mm-hmm. color scheme and that was allowed them that allowed them to get that kind of weird science fiction look to everything. Because when you flip that sort of thing, when you play around with the actual caliber of the photographs and the film itself, it changes the overall effect. So I suspect that that might not have been a metallic object in any way. Maybe with a slight sheen to it, but by screwing with the actual saturation just a little bit, you can give it a a metallic sheen. Also to connect this to what Steve brought up uh, from the words, you know, of the horse's mouth, essentially, you know, from the artist that she says she goes into these darker places, because this is shades of gray, blacks and whites, it does give a sense of that darkness. It's a prelude to what we may get in the album because you can feel this ominousness, I think, from the way this is colored and shaded. Well, her reference to darkness and blackness could have also been a cultural reference. I don't know. That may have sure. also been her angle of with course. that. But I don't doubt I, that she was conscious of the double entendres at the yeah. same time. And I, I mean, just to kind of find some middle ground between you two, I... I don't know. I'm leaning more toward the fact. I, I don't know. I think that was actually a great clinical explanation, John. Is yeah, to no, like, that was totally why, clinical. Yeah, but no, that's 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 probably that is probably the case. I don't know about the after effects though. I agree with everything you said about the lighting, but I believe that a talented photographer could absolutely do this without. Like, it looks like something that could be done without any kind of after effect, any it kind might... of airbrushing or computerized, like, just the right lighting, the right setting, and the point is, of course, to bring out every bit of detail possible, which is why, just to go back, you know, not to, like, harp on you, Matt, for the Cape Play comparison, but remember a lot of the things we said about that album cover is that it was like a cell phone picture, you know, and almost arbitrarily, like, you can see the flash in the center. This, to me, is very, very different. This looks like a, a studio, studio lighting, a set-up place that was designed for this particular piece of artwork. I'd be very shocked, actually, if this was a photoshopped uh, representation. It, it, it looks natural to me. It looks completely natural, but of an unnatural, difficult-to-interpret object. Right, I again. I mean, it's an elephant, but it's like, you know, <laughs> it's, or, again, it's origami. Again, I was being very specific when I mentioned k Is just saying they both are album covers in recent time that 
have a physical object and physical space, which we haven't seen a lot of. A lot of the albums that we've looked at lately have been some kind of artist rendering or, you know, right. uh, photoshopping or blending. These are things that exist in physical space. Maybe maybe it's just something as simple as the elephant in the room. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, no. Be. I mean, it's it's very easy to get objects and representations of objects and use them for the multiple colloquial meanings that they may have in whatever society you're trying to tell your, I don't know, artwork towards. Yeah, that's true. But I don't know. I, I think we've had more objects than you let on, Matt. What was it? Performance by Agecoin had a... Like a, a, a handkerchief, like a ruffled we, handkerchief we, we and a really technicolor bl- backdrop. But we couldn't tell what that object was. It, we thought it was, but we didn't really have proof of what the actual object was because it was too blurry and artistically messed with. All right, then right before we move on, I'll give you one strange thing that is leaping out about this. It kind, It's a little bit of a silly one, but it almost looks like this elephant has a obnoxiously large 70s collar. Like it comes down to a point, you see there? Yeah. No, that's the flank. And then it comes back up. That's the flank. I know, but it looks like a collar. <laughs> I think he's a classy elephant. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. All right. All right, Steve. I think no. you're pushing your material a little hard. <laughs> Buzzkill. Buzz yeah, that's us. <laughs> Black origami. Uh, and this time I'm talking about the track. The first track, self-titled. Uh, I, I need to, like, I, I, I had a hard time figuring out how to get into the meat of this album because, you know, again, what do you want to talk about? The rhythm? There's so much rhythm here. <laughs> so much rhythm. So much. I, it, I, I wanted to say, like, it's another one of those how-do-you-count-it kind of tracks. It's really not as hard as you think, but there are some notable quirks, and I'm going to get to them in one moment. And yet I'm tempted to do it right now because of the intertwined nature of these components. Uh, do just one thing differently, in fact, in the beginning of this album, in this whole first track, and it wouldn't really be the album that it is. Now, that's a lot of pretentious BS, I know, but what I mean is, and what I kind of love about this is, what makes it kind of challenging, is that you can't set aside the rhythm and talk about texture and expect the same kind of puzzle piecing it together as we usually get. It would be like if I removed the whole puzzle from you, every piece, and then asked you, now what do you see? <laughs> It's like a onesie set of pajamas. It covers all bases. And that's kind of new for us, but I gotta start somewhere, so here goes. The first thing that came to mind, even before the rhythm, is that what I'm listening to I, I, is something I often describe with respect to adjacent sections in music, but it's the rule here in the early half of this album, especially in this first track. Everything is sharp, spaceless. They pick up no ambient noise from their source or surroundings. Why? Because there are no surroundings. It's very electronic, and in this case, hides almost none of that from us. Even if some of it isn't, it's assembled in a manner that composer Joseph Bertolozzi, your former guest, assembled in uh, bridge music and tower music. It's, it's splice and dice, so then how can you really count on a continuous backdrop even when in those cases you know very well what the source of the music is, it's, it's from the Eiffel Tower, it's from the Mid-Hudson Bridge. So even like the smattering of attack and decay that you get deeper into this track, I feel like those elements were made in a laboratory. She wanted it that way, and that is a stark canvas for an album. You're in her world right now, a, a cage, and these are the sounds of an entrapped AI desperately trying to rattle itself free from that cage. But it has no power, it's been given no body, just thought. Well yeah, and actually, uh, I want to jump on something there that I was going to bring up later, because I sensed it more later, but it has to do with this, is that I 
I got a huge vibe of Uncanny Valley throughout this record, yeah. and I think it's absolutely from that experience that you're describing. The fact that it these took are me a tones, while to get at that thought, yeah, you can believe it it. it. it it the tones sound physical, but they lack the physical qualities exactly like reverb and stuff. And so while I sense it more later, and I'll bring it up as we get to it, even here in the beginning, in the like industrial hissing noises that came in later, and even almost the Nintendo ishy synthy stuff. All of this stuff with that percussion sounds so sharp with no hanging reverb that it did make, not necessarily make me uncomfortable, but definitely make me feel like something was off. They're full of life and impulse, but they're very alien if just for that lack of space. Yes, I agree. And that's why when I started coming up with descriptors for this track and pretty much every track that follows, uh, the pluck of a piano as opposed to the actual striking of keys on a piano. That's that's the first thing I get reminded of when we go into this track. Or a bass tap, not a drum bass, but like a bass guitar if it was being played like a drum. Like there's weird textural like interference on a lot of these sounds. I like this. I like weird attacks. Weird attacks are always good. When something cuts off a little bit too quickly, it always feels like it's being uh, attacked by something else. It feels like something else is going to be uh, supplementing it. And something like silence supplementing a sound is very jarring in and of itself. This is the strength of electronica as much as we kind of love to eye roll we? electronica. We? You know what? Even you. Even you have Rarely. done it at times, Rarely. even though you bring it on. But no, we eye roll it only because everything is electronic now, but that's exactly that's the exact reason why yeah. people love to go there is because the one thing you get that you don't quite get in other areas without really trying to disguise it is what is it? What is that sound? What is that sound? Because it was created by one person using a variety of tactics. All you can do is relate it to whatever you can. Now, structurally, th this album is, is quite a bit different it's, it, than what we usually get in electronica. It's largely composed of short, hurried tension-laced phrases, but not like tonally tension-laced, at least not at first, but we build quickly to it. Like the first sound, the first sound that we get here, there's almost no tension at all. It's just a jerky acoustic guitar kind of thing breaking that's, up an F major chord. That's my piano adjacent idea. Adjacent, yeah, but it sounded more guitar-oriented to me, at least you got the string thing right, but yet what's weird about it is it's just like it's sitting in a chair rocking back and forth. Kind of like it already went crazy long ago, but now it's just left to its own thoughts. And then a bass comes in, taking the third, putting along and syncopating, and then a couple of other outliers enter in, these precious few cymbal crashes that do actually have that long decay, but they're not the rule. They don't affect the whole because, or at least they don't affect the whole texturally speaking, because they're just visitors. They're, they feel like laboratory items. Tonally, though, they do affect it quite a bit because in that cymbal sizzling timbre, the pitch is very hard to place, and so it adds some confusion to our major chord. And then you get some woodblocks and some hi-hats. They enter the game, they add to the chaos, and by 30 seconds in, that piercing, that wee it's like a jump scare in a cheesy 80s horror flick, but it accomplishes its goal because you're looking to the right, you're looking to the left. What the hell is going to happen next? Well, 48 seconds in is what's going to happen next, and that's almost a slice of Jurassic Park. But first, or actually my last and of the spiel here, my last and first point, because the first thing I brought up is rhythm. Because you remember, IDM is an attributed genre here, at least one of the attributed genres. And that begs the question, 
even though it's kind of a mixed area because technically IDM, even though it's got the word dance in it, technically you're supposed to just listen in the chair and then focus on your headphones, whatever. It's got the word dance in it. And that begs the question, really, are you gonna dance to this like the way I'm describing this, which is very, very clinical? It's almost like we're doing mutant or two changes. You can't really dance to those things. But the neat thing is that for all its primal impulse and scare tactics, there is a foundation of syncopation here. Multiple groupings, rhythmic divisors that actually send me back to snooze in episode 236, and my excitement there to deal with rhythms that feel fresh each time. We get that experience all the time with melody and lyrics and moments and tonal detail, but rhythm usually sets out to do just one thing. I don't get multiple shades from it, on multiple listens. Well, contradict me here though you might, I was on three separate planes of existence when counting the first part until I finally settled on, just the first 11 seconds, three, four, five in succession. One, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five. It's just a matter of finding that f***ed up pulse because, of course, if you add those three numbers together, three plus four plus five, they make twelve. And twelve is divided far more harmoniously than that Four groups of three, you got two groups of six, all these things you can do, both of which arrive in due time. But just these first measures, you don't have the external pulse to argue it as being anywhere other than it is. And look, perhaps I'm over-classicizing it, perhaps I'm over-jazzicizing it, because actually, jazz cats tend to be far more imperious about this sort of thing, believe it or not. But for argument's sake, if you were a performer in either camp, it would serve you well to visualize some symmetry in the phrase work. And the phrase work here, that guitarist, stringish, pianoish thing, whatever, follows that one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five. It's some pretty nasty IDM, but it finds itself because it is 12 in the end. What I love about the 48 second mark, when you get to that, is that we fill out the 12 feel beautifully. The beauty of 12 is just how amorphous it is. There are parts where I'm totally locked in the traditional 12, which is the four groups of three. da 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 right? And that's what you get in these kettle drums pounding on the first of those four groups of three. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, right? And then later, the two count is equally as strong, the two groups of six. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. And that's a more heaving sensation, like that of the ocean, and all of these things you can absolutely dance to, but the intelligence therein is the fact that you need to just find the place first. It's not difficult. Actually, that brings us a little bit towards the discussion of what IDM is, and IDM historically wasn't dance music. It was contemplation music. It was supposed to be music that you were supposed to sit down at home by yourself and tear apart and put back together and try to understand it on a cerebral level, quote, cerebral. It's allowed to be dance music, but that wasn't the primary focus of it. In fact, other bands that we've talked about that actually are IDM, though we didn't quite stress the point because they were IDM plus a lot of other different directions, are like Boards of Canada, Tomorrow's Harvest. Was they're an IDM band that did an IDM album that was an ambient IDM. Yeah, it's the thing. I hear, like, I saw that, you know, attribution to them, like, that they were IDM. It's just strange for me to think of that, but considering that so much of what they did, like, ambient seems like the polar opposite thing, you know, to IDM. Like, there's very little rhythm there. It's You, you remove the rhythmic element completely, and here it's just so dominant. And that's... So, to me, I think people who, you know, attribute one thing or attribute the other, I think Actually, they have to get their... their 
criteria straight. Well, no. Uh, both glitch and ambient are considered part of IDM. They're considered subgenres of IDM. Yeah. Only because of the aesthetic feel and the aesthetic idea behind those two subgenres stemmed from the idea of what IDM was originally. Now, it has taken a turn towards something a little bit different, so I don't really want to call this album purely an IDM album. I think we're stressing that maybe a little bit too right. much. Because even in stuff that case, like you know what Square I should have... Even Square Pusher and Aphex Twin, we've, we've both talked about We've talked about both of them on this podcast. This is not a, a new genre, but they are a little bit more adjacent. This feels, yes, maybe it's a little bit more pure towards the IDM scene, but at the same time, uh, just a little bit of a spoiler, almost the entire album is in a, a at its core, kind of a three-count and that just promotes a dancing feel. Which which is exactly why I think I, I should have, maybe when I said, you know, IDM is an attributed genre here, I think maybe we should be focusing more on the footwork area than yeah. we are the IDM, because footwork, I feel like there's a lot of, you know, West African influence there, and a lot of that stuff does circle around that feel of 12, or that, you know, four groups of three, or just, you know, any variety of three. It comes back to that. It feels like that's where this album wants to be. Well, considering that we get uh, something of a, a tribal B section that shows up, sort of sort of increasing the intensity and doing a little bit of a, of a reimagining of that A section without really going too far away from the core. It still is decisively its own character and its own experience. It doesn't break up the rhythm section too much, but it changes a lot of pitches. And that overall changes the feel to something that is a little bit more on the primal side. It also adds in those high, like, almost vocalized flute pieces, yeah. which is another uh, unusual element, uh, sort of supplementing the, the real heavy pitch bends that were in that A section and that introductory mm -hmm. section. The combination of the two, it, it shows me that this is, it is a tonal shift, but it ends up feeling more of just a textural idea without really changing the rhythm or even the pseudo-melody that's developing. Well, it's like there's a, a flutist or a flautist sitting, standing on a hilltop, and he's just there, and he does his job, right, uh, just to kind of usher in various sections, because I noticed that that flute is often used to bring in the new thing. Like, I remember, I think it was actually just prior to that 48-second mark, come to think of it, you just hear that one flute lingering, and everything else cuts out, and then suddenly, dun, 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 right, it comes back in with the, the kettle drum-oriented stuff. So a lot of times, that is the function that the flute has. But then it also is there just as, like, this this call amidst several different sections. And it's pretty static. It really, I don't think, it ever changes that single pitch. That's the only, it's the only note it knows. And then further into the minute mark, I it's like they were fusing together so many different elements, things I had seen in, like, uh, Anna Meredith and, and Snooze, the, the first track of Snooze at least, and also in Two Changes. Like, there's just elements of each going on here, but it is still very independent of all of that, and certainly very impulsive, just not without control. So, like, just when you think drums are going to take over it, and it's going to be this drumline percussion-centric thing, then you get that, like, cheesy first-generation Sibelius solo viola-ish thing that comes in to play these, like, 16th notes. And it, it doesn't even sound like a string. It just sounds electronic and by itself kind of cheap, yet it contrasts so well with everything else. It just it yanks you back from all these kind of acoustic sounds and says, nope, you're still in the cage. 
And then when we move on to the minute 50 mark or so, it's the first time since everything has come in that then it all drops out. And we really focus on the percussion again on its own. Yeah. Almost like a percussive solo, but it's not really uh, stylistically a solo. It's just kind of a highlighting or a focusing. And that doesn't last very long. They start to bring things in again in a similar, I think, way I'd say to the A section but now a little more cacophonous, bringing a lot of the sounds that had been uh, sprinkled throughout the track in together now to kind of uh, phase things in together. Actually, it was a little bit more sort of borrowing the, the general, almost like devoid of emotion nature of the A section, but in inserting that into that tribal B section. Uh, because with the lack of vocals, the, the 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 beat work sounds very intense. It's even more intense than the first time we get it. Because it's not a it's not another B. It's sort of a a C or a B prime plus uh, A it's, C it's work. So tough. I'm not gonna try to do this on any of the other tracks. But this one, this one goes through a little bit of a an up and down for me because uh, we're we're getting an emotional highs, but these emotional highs seem purely around the idea of intensity as opposed to, for me, adhering towards any specific emotion. So I'm getting a lot of energy, but not a whole lot of direction. And then lulls in between. Like when the strings come in and we're focused on tap work, emotively, I feel nothing. I just feel, I feel like it's just building the intensity or maybe, maybe trying to constrain that intensity. It's not even like my heart's racing. It's more like it's just being compressed a little more than what it was beforehand. This back and forth, back and forth, especially when we get that, that those flutes come back in with a lot of the bass work, a lot of the, I call it the thwum noise. There's, I don't know how to describe it otherwise. To really do like counter impacts off of one another, to really go low register and high register, and to trade off very rapidly from one to the next, back and forth, back and forth. I, I love the intensity. I love the energy this track is bringing. I don't know what the hell to do with it because I need a release. There's a lot of, of stuff going into it. I'm being electrocuted over and over and over again. But without any way to direct it, I don't know where... I want to go with this. That actually makes perfect sense to me. I mean, it's one of, mm, like, the question is, you know, is that enough to make you not like it? I don't. I think for me, again, and I always usually fall back on this, whenever I'm just too curious, then I usually edge on the side of optimism, believe it or not. I, I, like, I go more toward the optimistic side of things just because I'm like, I'm curious. I've never felt that before. And for the moment, that is definitely enough to hold my attention. So it's like when you were saying, uh, emotionally speaking, this doesn't do as much for you. Well, it's, it's kind of like what I was describing with Matt earlier. There is that alien quality and the fact that that energy doesn't actually get released into something, you know, bracketed, defined. You don't have to worry about it, that in, in, in this case, in, in any of these cases, because it's like you said, you're just getting electrocuted over and over and over. She even kind of prepared you for that in saying that, you know, a lot of this album is a little bit more, she didn't say outright stream of consciousness, but the act of having no barriers, kind of like restating things, but then remapping them. That's kind of what's going on in this track. Other tracks she does a little bit different, but th this was a really bold, ballsy first track, actually, because so many people want to have that return to a theme here, and you don't have that same kind of theme. The rhythm is the closest that you get, and yet the rhythm is being used as the whole kit and caboodle. It's like your melody and your color. It it's so pervasive, and, and the it, it shifts the movement 
of the track in the way that the various sounds and pitches might shift the tone of other tracks. And without them, as I said in the beginning, this track would be hollow. Without those rhythms, you just wouldn't have much of anything. And that's a lot of reliance that I think I really respect. But, and this is the big but, as we transition from this piece to the next, my battery is getting over full. Like, I'm getting into a bit of a feedback loop by the end of this track, especially because the builds don't feel like they're going anywhere new in the last third or quarter of the piece. And yeah. this kind of redux over and over again with replacements of texture as opposed to expansions was a little bit bothersome. I just... I felt myself losing steam as much as I was still being electrocuted. It was the same current; it wasn't changing up too much. Well, I can admit that at least in the last, uh, the last you know minute or so, like in this case, it was around uh, the three-minute mark in this track. I recognized that there is some dragging, but I also knew that I was a little bit too much on the edge of my seat to really care. But I also know that there wasn't the same new things, so I'm just a little bit back and forth at this stage. And like you said, the last minute you're on the edge of your seat and you're not being pushed anywhere. At least that's that's how I felt. I wasn't being pushed forward anymore. I was just, we reached a precipice well, by that three-minute mark. This and is that what I was leading to, though. Is, the, the one release that you do get is the gong at the very end. That's I, not, I recognize, no, 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 no. no. no that I to recognize, me was not nearly enough of a release. That was directionless energy. And that I have a big problem with calling that a release. That's not directionless. That's at the end of the track. The, the whole entire the thing builds up to and it ends. That I was extremely underwhelmed then. Underwhelmed if that's supposed to be the that. release that we're getting there, that's that's not good enough for me. I don't know. That I was not enough. I'm like, on the edge of my seat, and I was let down by I that. I like the idea of an entire track, like, compressing all that energy without having the arcs within them, because, again, that is advantageous for the dance floor. Let's see what we get in other tracks. Uh, track two, Enigma. First of all, this is different because it actually does bring in vocals. You can't really hear what she's saying, but it's just a sample, her own sample. Um, I believe it's her. And uh, it's interesting because it just kind of is the same thing over and over and over again. But, but, and here's the big but of the piece, it's actually being used as an instrument. It's not just the single word because you don't really quite hear what it is. I think it's yeah. I think it's actually a full eh, yeah. It sounds a different very close language. To it. You don't know. It, it may not be. It may be. It may be something backwards. It may just be uh, emotive. But because it's being mixed, not even with the same like attack on it, because it's being clipped towards the end, or there's a little bit of a different attack on the very beginning of it. Its overall length fluctuates. Its pitch isn't even being changed, but its overall length is fluctuating, and this... How much it's allowed to complete the, the, the original, you know, l actual true length of time of the clip, however long it was. Sometimes it's the full clip, sometimes it's half of it, or a which, quarter. Which actually makes a lot of sense, considering what we got in the first track, considering what we got in the very beginning of this track with the deep, deep drum work. These vocal bites, every it, it's conforming to what the other stuff was doing, which is using time as the pitch changer, in a sense. Because we're not going up and down the scale, we're going up and down in the length of what you get to experience with the pieces. Well, I'll confess that it wasn't the most, like, interesting element of this track. The fact that the vocal, yeah, okay, that she reuses that, it does become, like, the signature, I guess, defining element of this track, if you had to describe it to someone, it's mm -hmm. that clip, right? But then, there's other things that I find a lot more interesting, and that's the fact... It's not, but I'm not trying to argue that it's the most interesting piece. Okay. I'm saying it's adhering to how she's using her instruments. Yeah. You're, you're describing... Well-designed well <laughs> we use of this piece. Gotcha. Well, 
this is what I particularly liked here, and that was the fact that rhythmically I was torn again. I over felt, overall felt that this was in sort of a quick 6-8, or again that 12 thing at time. It some, both feel kind of consistent. At the very beginning, actually, I thought it was in like 3-4, around 120 beats per minute. Try counting it at that, 120 or 121. But then we would drift between 3-4 and 4-4, at like the section following that, 11 seconds in, that's 4-4, four, four, clearly, because here the 4-4 four, four measure, the pulse, this would be worth, if you overlaid them, for the 4-4 four, four measure would be worth two 3-4 measures. That's where it would line up. And so the tempo here would absolutely have to change in a 3-2 ratio. 120 beats per minute comes down to about 80 beats per minute in the 4-4 four, four part. Just because it was so stark, I had a hard time counting this in the other ways, back in the 6 or the 12 thing. It was stark because the pulse actually sounded like a metronome here. You can still hear that vocal sound bite, but the only other thing that you have is that and then it explodes at around 24 seconds into the base of 120 again. The, the 3 feel, which again, at this point you might as well just say 6 and 12, whatever. This is why it gets a little bit silly. But it's also hypnotic, and it's honestly impossible not to move along to, at least for my part, in this one particular section. Even if you're just making like silly arm motions in your chair, as I was, this was, from 24 seconds on, I, I think she had just kind of sold me on a likability factor. You get so much texture in here with the percussion, the, the tabla sound, the little sliding pitches, it's just very, very intricate. Yeah, I mean, and I think that um, intricacy also lends to making this track sound even more tribal than the previous, especially as it goes on. But I think what you described in the very beginning, that thump with the vocalization, also I think really lends to making it feel tribal. And what I really liked about the vocalization, because I will go out on a limb and say I did quite enjoy it, and it was one of my favorite parts of this, at least in the beginning, was because, to me, it felt like a foreign language. It felt, I, I would agree with John that it felt like it was being used as an instrument, but I, I feel it was being used as an instrument the same way any band we've reviewed where they use a foreign language that I don't understand. It, it felt almost conversational at times, even though it was repeated words. It was the pace it was repeated, how clipped they were, how not clipped they were, like both of you mentioned. And even the different lengths of them, how some were really short and some were much longer, like it was the full soundbite, really did enhance the whole dialogue of the track. Well, it's, 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 again, it's back and forth with me, because on one hand, you might say it enhances it. I, I still feel like I was a little too wrapped up in the rhythm, but yet, yet again, I like to define this track in terms of, I guess, that vocal sound bite. Like, that's easily how I would describe this track to someone else. Not that you're probably going to find yourself in that position. No. You know, if let someone me tell you about me, Enigma. Yeah, if someone <laughs> asked me actually, to describe this album, I'd say, go listen to it, leave yeah, me alone. exactly. Because I wouldn't be able to, I don't Devalues think. this series. But anyway, there's, I mean, there's still so much to say about, I guess, what she's accomplishing here. But what I will say is it does make it extremely global. Is that whether it was, like, a foreign language or not, you know, it doesn't matter because it's all so spliced up. I guess just the fact that there is a human presence makes it more approachable for some people, not that it matters for me, than, let's say, you know, an instrumental, right? It makes it more mm -hmm. approachable just in that sense that there's a human being for once, right? Apart from all that, like, AI stuff that I said about the first track. Here, at least, there's a human presence, but it doesn't matter because it's not going to be, like, culturally specific except for, like, the, the you know, the 
West African influence, yeah. but yet that stuff has been like it's pretty global at this point. It's utilized almost everywhere. So even if that is just a marketing ploy, not to make it sound so wily, but you know that would still work. That still make that still puts your album on the global level. Anyone can just dive right into this. I could see it in any 21st century dance floor. That's for sure, around the world. But. But that tribal, I don't feel throughout this piece. In fact, it's like the third or fourth section. I didn't really count at that point because I was I was just in it the piece, so I didn't really want to dissect numerically what section we're in. A, B, C, D doesn't really matter, like I said earlier. There's a tonal shift where a lot of that rhythm work seems to shift from something, to my ears, tribal to urban. Almost industrial. It feels like there's a little bit of a, a mechanical shift to it, where the wooden aspects of it become a little bit sharper, a little bit more on the metal side, on the hollow side. I think that was around one minute and 24 seconds, at least if, well, was it the part where there was snapping alongside the, the djembes and the wood blocks? No, it was a little bit later from A little there, bit later, okay. Where I truly felt like we've actually left the 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 tribal scape and gone into some sort of industrial scape. You know what? Okay, you're right. That was probably right after this. In which case, let me just say one thing about my experience of this part, uh, and that was the fact that if I, wherever you are, whether it's tribal, whether it's urban, I did have the sensation that this section uh, felt more like it was a live performance and less like it was like I was in the studio, like I'm listening on my headphones. I suddenly felt here like I was in some strange, super modern, acoustically buffered basement performing space where like the stage is a square, you know, and the audience surrounds them on three sides because that group snapping effect felt very, very 3D all of a sudden. Like there's still no space, I'm sticking by that thing, but there's dimension and she's playing with that all of a sudden. That is a very odd way of putting No space, but there's dimension. Precisely. You see, I, I think, are we 2D? Because there's still no technical space, but like, I'm, I'm just curious as to how that would be portrayed. There's this no piece, way. Right I, I, I feel like it. That is what my brain <laughs> Well, I think so. The funny thing is, though, talking about it that way is, I'm, and typically I'm the first to go to imagery, but I feel like at least at this point, I'm at a loss of imagery and I'm more in a feeling place. Like the Uncanny, Uncanny Valley thing, the tribal thing. Like, I'm not well, actually picturing this. We have two hours space. here. What I know. Am I well, say? You're right. No, I know. But I'm saying that. It's just interesting to me that it took you somewhere because listening to the track, I didn't really feel like I was taken anywhere other than I was wrapped up in the nature of the track, but I wasn't picturing anything, and per I'm se. Still, I, I think I'm Can not, you really describe from... dimension in terms of where? Yes, you have to describe <laughs> dimensions in terms of where. That's part of the dimensions. No, between um, one and the other. I'm, I'm not in either of your real spheres right now because I'm, I'm not getting emotional and I'm not really visualizing a space. This just feels... It feels like another energy track to me. I'm not getting invested in it to to feel anything particular. I think it would be more of a mood enhancer, if anything. Something that probably would work just as well with sadness or fear as it would with happiness or other things like that. I don't, I don't see it really connecting one way or the other. I, I feel like this would be much more so than the previous track, a mood enhancer instead of just an energizer. But I don't think it would just be a mood unto itself. Well, that's the vacuum that I kind of love about this track. I know we always said, oh, let's talk about this track in a vacuum. Like, there's nothing else. This, this, is, this whole thing is a vacuum of its own experience. And it does make it sound uniquely hollow 
but I think that in some way for me is the equivalent success here as it was in the first track. That's it. And this this does have to be said, of course, before we go on to the next track, is that I do still think that there's the problem of the last 25, 20% or so. Yeah. The same problem where I don't get a new thing per se. The yeah, yeah, yes. That is the mark of that final quarter that started getting to me and did severely decrease my happiness with this See, track. it didn't decrease it actually, mine. It, like the previous one, I just kind of came to a came to Jesus moment where it was just like, I'm just along for the you're ride. Jewish. You gotta pick somebody else. He was Jewish! Yes, but then I don't guys, have to pick anybody self, anybody guys, else. He was ours first! Yeah, but he kicked them out. Well, because yeah, he... Sort of, yeah. Sort yeah, of, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's such an old <laughs> discussion, man. <laughs> but I understand. You hit you hit that... that you hit the mountain. You, you hit the moment where... Things kind of made sense to you. But then nothing changed after that. And so it didn't really decrease my experience with it, but it didn't increase it either. Actually, for me, though, unlike the, first, unlike the first track, which it just kept trying to overfill that battery here, I was a little bit annoyed at how many yes I got in a row. That, that did actually decrease my overall happiness because yeah. it was a lot of yeah, 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 yeah. That got on my nerves very quickly. Sparse use and more pointed use was great for the first three quarters, but that final crux that led us to the ending of about 15 seconds of saying it definitely hurt it. Definitely hurt it to my ears. Well, again, for me, for you, it's, well, no, this it's is, very I think personal this, is what you take to the table. I think this one, this album might be one of our biggest experience changes from person to person to person. I don't think we're going to agree on there every is, reason why we like or dislike There parts. is so much less to say that is objective here. Yeah, yeah I would say yeah. so. Let's go to track three, Kyanite. Um, this, well, maybe we'll agree on this front. This was quite a bit more mystical. Yes, because yes. Because you have like this high-pitched whirring with chimes mm-hmm. in the midst, and everything still has that like uncanny crispness, but you do have... The 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 worrying of space, you are not quite space, but there's something. There's something there. Fake birds. Fake birds. It does, birds. It, it does feel like there are some kind of Both. birds. I did get that. AI designed, but doesn't quite know what it sounds like. Birds. That's exactly right. what it was like. Truly robotic. I got that. But attempting at natural, and that crickets was, too. Yeah, birds that, and crickets. Like they were mic'd right next to them, and you almost never hear them that crisp. Uh, at least not here in the city, so they're just always there. They're always there, but they're not, like, right next to you. And then you get that brief little preview of what a beat is at its core, what the beat might be for the track, and then you immediately abandon that and go into something completely different. That beat shows up again. That, that short, it had to be 10 seconds long. If it was if it was any longer, I'd be surprised. But it was a lot, nice little, like, jolt. And then we go into something that I don't know how to... Describe the the edgy pitches of that metal and plastic and thwump all put together because it felt like we were working with three different types of materials. Something that was decisively metal with that sharp twang to it. Something that was decisively plastic with a slight a slight little sour squeal to it, which I liked. And then the very rocky thump. But the also, com- well, you missed one. Only missed one because I heard all those things absolutely. But what about the vocalization? We're not. Get, I'm not there right, yet. I'm okay. not there yet. That's but those early, those three pieces, it's not a negative. I'm not using this as a negative. But they sounded like Warner Brothers cartoon slapstick noises, like purposely, oh. like the sound bites you would get to represent ideas. They felt fake and they felt 
a little bit idealized, but they felt like they were trying to emulate something natural, which is how I took it after listening to birds and crickets that were made out of robots. Yeah. Well, you know what? At, at least that's more fresh than the 80s uh, cheesy stuff, the easy cheesy horror flick. Yeah. You know, which I heard in the, like, if it's, if it's, yeah, sure, it's cartoonish, fine, I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, and I think what Steve started to bring up is also important to this whole um, mixing, as it were, is the female vocalization. Because here you can clearly hear it's female, whereas in the previous track... Oh, no, it's still, I still heard that it's I think female. It was, well, I think it was clearly female on the f- previous track, but I didn't, because it was kind of harsh and spoken, I didn't focus on that as much. So this was much more melodic, the vocalization. Mm. I See, think no, that, melody is tricky. No, melody is tricky, but I'm glad you brought that up because I do think there is something that's just more likable about this. And despite the fact that I do think in the last track, it felt like she was starting to say a word. And so it's, right. what's the word? What's that word? You're not yeah. telling me because you're cutting off the clip, right? And here, I don't think I was under the same illusion because it just feels more like scatting. And so now that I know or feel it as scatting, then I can digest it easier. It was actually my, the reason why I'm, I, I brought this up because I, I love the, the effect of this. It was actually my favorite part of the track. Maybe the second favorite part, though, is the metallic percussion that mm. John brought up. But here, what I like about it is it's this, it's the D sound at first. Her making that D sound. And then it rolls. And then you get these more hurried phrases. And then the panning, of course. It's, it's that wonderful 3D sensation. Like, she's surrounding you. The hurried phrases are, are like true scat. Right? She does that yeah. cool little thing. I, I, I melt every single time she does that. Um, and then it is supported very heavily by the metallic percussion in the background. And I think it was just a little bit more... Uh, yeah, texturally pleasing, even though it's not anything that I ever knew I wanted before, but just to hear that consonant, that vocal consonant paired with metallic percussion was, I, I was all about it. And after that first time we get that, that kind of core idea and the core amalgamation of my three rhythm elements and the vocalization, I, I like where this actually goes probably the most so far because it seems like it's an oddball back and forth between like a 6-4 and a and a, and a three kind of. I would count. never say four, but I mean, I would never say the six four only because everything is so fast here. It's so like yes, yeah, six eight. And... The, the major pulse seems to be either on a six count or a three count. That's, and it yeah, seems that's always to, the case, and it's always. But back it's very and forth there. rapid on this one, in that you only get three, four, maybe six measures of one, maybe that much before you go back to the other. Yep. But the the true crux of this for me was, I don't know if it really felt like the tempo changed. No. I just felt like it was a slowing down and speeding up of like a heartbeat or something like that. It was an ever so slight, uh, uh, someone steps in and then someone steps out and then someone steps in and then someone steps out. But the, it's, it's, it's twins. The, the person stepping in is merely just mirroring what the other individual is doing anyway, or sort of mirroring it, just playing around with it, adding a little bit of extra flair on that dance. But it wasn't doing anything different. It was just merely trying to double a tempo that I didn't really actually see changing or trying to cut back a tempo that didn't feel like it was changing. This, the fact that the count felt like it changing without the tempo really being affected was really, really enjoyable. Yeah, see, I think you're stumbling right into clarifying what I was trying to explain in the last track and how I went in this, like, tangent about how like yeah it's six it's just sure it's six right but then i'm like no i bet i feel three bit three i'm like i feel three and then i feel four and i feel all that stuff but that it's not really the point it's just a matter of and what we're trying to do here which may seem like a fool's errand literally is just to get at how 
the perception of certain rhythms and her art here, which I've only think I've described maybe twice, and that was once in Snooze and once here, is that your perception of rhythms and the way that you move can be different from moment to moment and may even be different on multiple listens in the same exact moment. And that's what I think is the talent of not just a great composer, but a great rhythmic composer. And usually you just don't get that kind of back and forth. You don't get that like trading back and forth. You get that stuff in melody and in tone and other areas where like, ah, but I felt colder here. I felt yeah, like that's a whole other side of music. But to talk about that in rhythm, it's just so rare. Yeah, I think that for sure here, the percussion is the driving force, obviously. And it does add a melodic feeling that typically we would get from other instruments. And I think that's why... I'm able to engage in this music more than maybe p previous electronica that's been brought is because I too do tend to gravitate towards more traditional sounds and structures. And when you're focusing on certain parts of the percussion, you can suss out those structures. And the fact that these shifts in signature, I guess, in, in what script she's using, really are kind of prefaced by uh, uh, devolving down to just that pure little metal noises and, and the thump, really breaking it down, you add in a, a vocalization and then go back into those high edges. The, having that be your... That's kind of an A section by itself. Just that little transitional piece that she keeps going through. Yeah. Though it, do, it does change. It's a bunch of A primes. But <laughs> having that be your home to know that you're going to go into something else allows the real like head scratching part of this the the fact that you you can only experience the way you want to count the beat i guess i'm paraphrasing steve here <laughs> having a home for that having something for that i guess actually works to what matt said that it is a lot more approachable and it's a lot more it's a lot easier to get into because you have something to latch onto so you don't get lost as you're going through this piece i'll only add it's not just how you count the beat, but how you move to the beat. Mm -hmm. and I wasn't the, moving. That's the more abstract thing. That's why I oh, I was moving. I, I wasn't moving. I was moving. I was in. I was honestly this whole album. I don't think I was really moving, except in maybe some of the later pieces. For the most part, up until like track seven, eight, I was I was just intense on this. A lot of intensity. Intensity is the word of the day for me on this album. I, I wasn't just moving. I was I was mimicking. You know. Yeah, I, I was doing a similar thing that great. Steve was doing. Um, although I would say in this track is when I think I was doing it the most up until this point because it's just as it as it picks up towards the end of the track, it's probably at its most lively. That said, we are again encountering towards the end of this track a similar thing we encountered in the previous two. I was it's, less there in this track only because, I, I don't know, I was lost in it for well, some right. reason. I think there, because I liked it more, I noticed it less, but I still noticed it. It was almost about two-thirds of the way through, maybe a little bit later, but it's like everything got set in fire and there was like a burning sensation. At the same time, it felt like everything got dampened downward. It was, it was a combination of the two because I felt a little bit of a sizzle going throughout, but there was almost a pillow effect on top of everything. It was, it's a weird sensation. I could take it either way. You could take it both ways. Doesn't really make too much. But that at that moment, I felt like uh, this this blanket that was on thrown on top of anything definitely kind of stumbled me outward as I felt like it receded away from me. And that was when the ending kind of kind of fell apart for me. 
All right, well, let's go on to something that me and you may be agreeing on slightly more, and that is track I think four. It's, I think it's more than slightly. More than slightly, track four, Holy Child, which, first of all, is a collaboration. She collaborated with uh, William Bazinski, who's a minimalist composer. First of all, I'll relinquish. Here, there is reverb, and there yeah. is a lot of it. Mm-hmm. It's and... very controlled, though, but it's there. Like the symbol, just to focus on the symbol, it sizzles and provides, you know, one of those effects where it just sizzles, but then feels like it's being broken down into its constituent bits and bites. So in that case, it still does feel very, like, manufactured. But there are other things that feel completely natural, like the distant metallic knocking in the background, like at the other end of a warehouse. We've used that before. But that knocking indeed sounds more natural. That is the first time, actually, on this entire album where I have felt like there is some kind of space. Can't really say it's a warehouse. Maybe it's a steel mill. I don't know. But it's something in that vein. And that actually sets up something that uh, I don't think really has happened on this album as of yet and doesn't really happen too much later on, in that we have a, a musical foreground and background. And the reason I bring that up is because the rhythm section is usually what you consider background, but because it is the focal point on so much of what we're seeing and what we're enjoying and even what we're not enjoying, it's hard to regulate that to background. Mm-hmm. And most background might be it's the deeper stuff only because it's deeper and that would be the closest I could say to that but because we're actually starting to differentiate between foreground and background on this because what comes in the foreground which I'll get to in a moment it's it actually is making a physical place for me but that's not the only thing besides the reverb besides background differential this background and this rhythm section is incredibly simple but it to me feels in a lot of ways denser And that I think I would attribute to the fact that the background has drop-offs and it has long attacks and everything is softened. And notes and bits are actually playing on top of one another. So while we are still getting an 8-bit devolution of pieces where we're getting individual markers on it and it sounds manufactured, something is not existing by itself like it was in the last track, in the previous track, in the previous track, and so much of what this rhythm work does. When we hear a noise come in and it taps... It is by itself on that range of of caliber of noise, of of pitch. But here, things are flowing significantly more into one another. You're getting more blanketed noise. This, to me, is inviting in a way that we haven't gotten on this album. Well, I might have missed it in that spiel, but did you mention how the vocals are no, part no, no, of the no, foreground? No, 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 I haven't even gotten to foreground yet. I haven't got to foreground yet. Okay, so you established foreground and background literally just to explain the background elements. Yes, gotcha. unless uh, someone wants to interject, I'll go into foreground now. Um, well, so I'll start us <laughs> off on foreground. Okay, okay. Because, uh, again, here we're getting vocals, uh, vocalization. But I think this is the one that sounds the most human yet. And I think based on the foreground and the background that John is beginning to describe, well, he was in depth about the background. At yes. Least, um, I also got, and I'll, I'll pass it off to Steve to describe the foreground, because I was kind of in the middle of those two places through most of this track. Because of the way it was structured, it's the first time I actually felt like I was somewhere physical. And the music was almost happening around me, which was really weird because there was a distance between me and the music on the previous tracks. But here, because of this kind of more natural feeling and world building, I use word with world with finger quotes because I don't know what world it is. I did feel like I was immersed in it more. I was in between that back and foreground. I can I can tell you the world. Melancholy happiness. 
But that's not even. That's where I became. But that's so vague that it's not even. It's almost not worth mentioning. Only because it's not a world. It's just a feeling. I'm gonna try to get closer to that. But that's like three down the line in my okay. list right here. <laughs> All right, the very first thing, uh, which you just brought up, um, is the sense of place, let's not even talk about world, but at least performing space. And that is the fact that, all right, last track was the first time that I even got any sense of performing space. Like it wasn't just some abstract thing happening inside a box, uh, but rather I felt like there was a stage. And I described it as being one of those, you know, kind of like acoustically buffered stages where everything mm -hmm. still is made to sound as if it's like in your head, in your ears, yeah. as if it's a headphone experience because it's, it's a new age performing space. Well here, the, none of that, it feels very open. Like mm -hmm. it's designed to be as open open as possible. And in, ironically, that actually pushes it right back out of being real, right back out of being a real space because there's so few things that I can imagine that are exactly like that. I know, yeah, there are a lot of performing spaces that have a lot of reverb because they're like literally warehouses that were converted into performing spaces, but that's, that's not what's going on here. There's something a little bit removed. It's still a little bit too alien. Now, the second thing that you brought up, Matt, that I, I really find the need to comment on is uh, how human she sounds like sorry. Oh, of course, she sounds human, but I think she sounded just as human in the last track. The like the one thing that's actually really consistent between the last track and this is the fact that it is just the short bits of uh, soundbite. Like it's just she's just saying these little things, right? And so in that case, it's consistent. Why should it be any more human here? And this is where we kind of segue into the third thing, and it's the fact that on the thinnest grounds that you have in this piece for actually placing this in a key at all. If this were A minor, she ponders that adjacent note. Two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, three, four, three, four, three, four, three, four, right? Those two little things. And I absolutely love that fade, by the way, that little diminuendo on each phrase. But it's that sense of there being tonality here that is really new. And I think that is where I am. It's true, I do feel that she's more human, but it's not because of the clip. It's not because of anything else, it's not because of the way she's mixing it, it's just because of the fact that she used tone and there's scale now. Like it's a familiar scale and there's a little bit of tension there. And we associate these things with, you know, human experiences because of all the other music that we hear where we're usually talking about chord progressions and we're not having that discussion on this album, this is the first time we're having it. I actually think it, it is in part because of mixing. I, I wouldn't discredit that at all because she feels like a focal point. Here, the vocalization feels like a focal. It feels like the foreground, and as much as the rhythm and the deep backs and the density there is a hundred yards away, playing at the other end of this warehouse of reverb, she's in front of you, singing to you or at you or around you, and that adds a personality. I want to say that I really don't see in much of this other work that we get on this album. Let's see, the personality to me comes from the tonality. It's, and maybe it's, that's just how my brain is wired. And we've had these discussions before. I often go to tone first, which is why this is such a really cool experiment because we're generally not having that discussion. It's all rhythm, but this but, is a specific case. But it's almost as if it's a solo coming forward and you're experiencing a vocal solo. And because of the way it is so forefront, as, as much as... But it's not a solo, because it's the A section. Yeah. It's the section that returns. The, I, these no, vocals are how I define the A. I wouldn't even, I'm, not, I'm not differentiating between A's and B's on this. I'm not differentiating between sections. I'm just in presentation, overall presentation of the personality here is more inviting because I feel like this solo work is 
existing, and it's it's without overtly complicating that foreground musical experience with background rhythm changes that I feel, as much as it seems like a very stark contrast to so much else on this, it feels just in line with this album to have this duality going on here because that's what so much of what I'm seeing is going on. The industrial versus the tribal of the previous track, the the back and forth of the beat changes. This, I feel like, is the duality of deep background long form with higher pitched short foreground. The back and forth, it's all about dualities is what I'm seeing in this album as I, a whole. So for me, this, this feels like Yes, it does in fact feel like a solo for me. It feels like a solo vocalist or vocalization with just supporting instrumentation behind it. And all this really does actually make an emotional impact on me, which is why I brought up melancholy happiness earlier. It felt like... I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that in one second. That was the third thing I was going to arrive at. But I do want to say, as far as you, the, the discussion on just whether it's solo, whether it's a melody, part of this is perception, but I think part of it can be objective. This is returned to, thus it doesn't feel as freeform. It is returned to in, in not just, you know, referenced sake, it's returned to verbatim. And so that's why I feel this as a section that I can follow. And I think it's the fact that I follow this as a melody. That's why it feels more, uh, I, I guess, in, independent to me or as uh, I think you're misunderstanding the way I'm using the word solo then. Because I'm not saying it's a solo as in a freeform expression of an instrumentation. I feel like it's soloing out an individual or an idea or a single sound to make that our presentation, to make that our primary artistic Well, it, focus. Does, it does transcend the, the piece. It transcends everything else, whereas you didn't have those, like, transcendental qualities in other pieces. So mm -hmm. I'll agree that far. That far, because I don't think we're going to get any better. But, all right, so now after at long last, we get to just the emotion of this. I think one of the reasons this track struck me, I mean, I kind of just explained why that, like, why the elements themselves start to strike me. But now, as far as the emotion... This was a kind of like a euphorically industrialized track. I don't know why you should have that kind of euphoria in like a warehouse or anything, but I will say I had some direct connections. One was to just the soundtrack of like Fifth Element. It felt to me really like you were standing on the precipice as Lilu was as soon as she was created. And now all of a sudden she's right there. She's staring at the world for the first time. And then that beautiful score sweeps in while she's staring at this futuristic city and looking down to this infinite three-dimensional layer where you can't even see the bottoms of the buildings. That was extremely, I don't know, it was very moving to me at the time. And yet there was also that little lingering thing in the background. Like, this is scary. This world is almost out to get her and she has almost no control at this point, despite being kind of a powerful being. All that stuff, I kind of am getting that emotion <laughs> here. And maybe it is because of the tonality, again. You go back to that and I feel like I could sort of find some similarities, but I'm not even going to try to break it down, because here it literally is just down to that 2-1-2-1-3-4-3-4 as far as minor scale degrees. It's funny, because I think this is the first time, maybe not that we've disagreed, because we've been kind of all over the place so far, but I think for sure that I'm not quite on the same level as you guys, because I didn't really get a strong emotion from this track, which is why I argued with John that I was trying to set a place and a feeling of how the music was affecting me, but not necessarily specific emotion. What John describes, I felt more in track five. Here, and track four, you know, it falls short of really engaging me emotionally. I think it was primarily because it was, you're working with softer edges, which are inherently, to me, less dangerous. Like, they're not, they're not sharp, they're not that edgy, they're not going to hurt you, 
they're pillowy, they're inviting, they're just the imagery I use. The reason why I use the words like soft and hard and sharp are because I want to denote inviting versus danger. So it, to me, more inviting. And because there's a lot of falling in the background and you're working in the minor scale, yeah, I, I'm, I'm feeling very uplifted by this and very personally touched by it, which for me, emotional, and I am a very emotional person on a lot of this sort of stuff, but I can usually take myself out of it. Here, I can't. Steve's little bit of fear and a little bit of a drop-off from that precipice seems to be showing up. Um, well, I agree with him wholeheartedly for his use of imagery, for his use of a specific, like, touchstone. This, to me, can go even further than that and being uh, washed out but vibrant. Like a rainbow smorgasbord of colors, but they're all a little bit towards the grayscale. That's why I'm very surprised this is not uh, something that's more up Matt's alley. I guess just because we've covered so many markers, I think context is key when you look at the relativity of this track compared to all others. You have so many things that you didn't have before. You have that sense of place. You have that sense of humanity. You have that sense of tonality. All these things. Like, it may have been a pretty roundabout abstract discussion that we had on this track in order to just get to it. I can't even think any other way in which I could discuss this track. I never said I didn't like it. I said it didn't connect with me emotionally. There's a big difference there. That's important to me because I feel like I mentioned track five, but I also really meant track seven. That felt more spiritual and more tied to me when we get to that track. Here, I liked what it was doing. I felt immersed. I just didn't feel a specific emotion. I just felt immersion. That is the first three tracks for me. What you just described is the first three tracks to me. That's where I was. We flipped. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know either. And I was there's wrong. No we didn't get... agree on this one at all. We were completely different areas. Well, no, <laughs> we, were, we were just, we, we were over here. We were yeah. way over to the left. But as far as, look, there's no reason to get, we're always talking about just these minor little yeah. degrees of things. So, yeah, it, it doesn't really matter in the end. Track five, Nya Can You Arise is the best I'm going to get at this pronunciation. <laughs> Better than me. Um, This has a more sauntering start for the rhythm here. It's not as clearly melodic as it had been before. It kind of trudges forward before anything else really comes but see, in. But see, trudges not, I not don't to like use. bring back the thing in the last track here. But this does like it, it's we've eliminated now all of those things that all those yeah. little bullet yeah. marks that I just we're back to now like the usual fare for this it's album. A, which is not saying that this is like not a unique track really. Right. I'm just saying that it goes back to what the album had set up and what I found so particularly unique about track four with respect to all of its surroundings. This one is is more of a like uh, a shuffle and shake, but that sounds a little bit too movement oriented for me. It's it's honestly for the for the majority of the opener and the and really the A section, it sounds very assembly line. It felt, sounds very industrial to me. Really? Yeah, because okay, the first that that shuffle and shake, it it did have a very heartbeat oriented, but very quickly we're getting just bursts of electricity in that drum. That, that steps in and that that started mechanicalizing it. And then the taps really do become just just a, a regular industrial line of A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D, of going through the motions. It's a beautiful motion. I really do enjoy this, this A section, but it, it felt mechanical. It felt Android-esque, like a faux humanity. So especially when the B section comes in and you get those that, that slant towards the tribal that we keep getting, but also that scream work, it felt 
android. It felt a, a, a faux humanity or personification of what AI thinks humans are. See, and I didn't get a robotic feeling from the rhythm, at least. For me, because it's probably the most playful and engaging the, the rhythm has felt without kind of alienating. Yeah, I'm, with, I'm with Matt here. Yeah, actually. like I was drawn into that. I think the, the percussion here definitely fe- oh, is the closest I ever felt to someone behind a drum kit actually soloing and messing around it, and going all over the place. It makes you move more, I think, than some of the other tracks in this album, just in a primal sense. Mm-hmm. You have that sense of galloping. One, It's a lot of that stuff. So, of course, we're back to the whole, like, 12, 6, 3, 4, you know, all of right. those little little divisors. But this, uh, yeah, again, it's, it's removed color. It's removed very little tone is present, except for just maybe the bass alone. But it's all natural. It's all... It's, there's people. There's even, like, a, a vocalized dude. He chimes in every yeah, now the and then. Screams, yeah, the screams. The, the kind of primal urges. But here's the thing. I, I, I went to a visual space, like, immediately with this track. And it has nothing to do with the overall music. It's really the movements associated with the video for Putty Boy Strut. Just the actual video. Take away the sound, because I know Putty Boy Strut has a very specific sound to Remind it. Remind listeners what that's from. Flying Lotus episode 19, which I'm actually forgetting the name of the album. That was Until the Quiet Comes. I, I can't unsee that video associated with this track now. As much as I actually didn't like that album but love Putty Boy Strut, I, I see that sort of assembly line movement anthropomorphized robots. But see, that's the thing is that those robots weren't very robotic. They bobbed and moved to the rhythm in a way. But they were still making. And that's why I'm I'm crossing the line into the android territory. It's a facsimile of of humanity going on right here. Like, it feels like it's natural, but it feels like it's, it's natural but adherent to something that is a little bit on the binary side, a little bit on the hexadecimal side, because we're not going to get binary. I don't know. When you get that that guy in there, the vocalized dude and the other people, it's found like there were more people here. I I just felt like this was a sweaty dance floor. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I didn't really see the... the, uh... The voice is not being full. Voice is still having the clips to them, the, the sharp attacks, the sharp decays. Keeps it from being just pure human. It's it's still a little bit on the digital edge and a little bit more digital than the last two tracks were All completely. Right. Well, we should probably pull back on some of the imagery, I guess, in the Christmas <laughs> this one, album. No, or this well, is going. No, I mean in the me, album. I mean in the album. Because, this one. Yeah. This one struck me pretty yeah. hard, and that's why well, I yeah. wanted to bring that. I up. mean, talking about it musically. Something that was a little different for me about the build here is that it did build on itself in a way that the playfulness came and went in the percussion and then some of the other tones and sound bites filled in those gaps. But it does, of course, still do that almost plateauing effect we've had in other tracks. Around, I think this track was at its strength for about two-thirds of it, and then the last third... Well, I didn't dislike it. It definitely felt like, okay, uh, you've shown your cards. I see where this track is going. And there was an, uh, there was a sound-adjacent VHS skipping, kind of swirling sh- noise. Yeah, almost like, a like, sh- like a, a For all a you kids song. out there, before we had CDs, we had see, VHSs. <laughs> um, it's, it's sort of like that tape got screwed up as you're mm-hmm. watching a movie recorded one Almost many hearing times. like that kind of uh, the lines on the screen, snowy effect almost. Yeah, when that steps in, which is somewhere between the half and last third mm-hmm. of the track, um, cool sound bite goes on for a while, a couple of times, and once again, I don't feel like that that texture addition 
warranted any changing, so no changing occurred, so it kind of plateaued. Yeah, I mean, that said, again, my complaints with a lot of the plateauing, and like Steve has mentioned before, and you've mentioned before, it's not necessarily to a detriment for me, at least, especially since at this point it's safe to consider because she's a DJ and she does a lot of DJ work, the last third being that way would allow you to play with it and mixing it with something else a lot. And so that's I, something I'm keeping in mind here as I, we move I, I on to the next I made that point track. earlier on. I yeah. think that's the, the thing that, that kind of holds these last stretches up. It's probably one of the few things that does because of the fact that, yeah, I know on a studio album we're always looking for these completed arcs right. within singular tracks. And you that's could just argue not going to happen here. But you could argue that that's like when we did um, Fuego by Fish and, and the like bands who are tending to lean towards improvisation or live performances, that it's an it, it's a failing on the studio album. I'm not saying well, it is I, here. I think also there's I'm just a, saying it's something Especially to consider. considering these beats were like, you know, assembled meticulously. There's not the same level well, of, of like, course. she said she's improvised but she's improvising as electronic musicians do, which involve right. a lot more. It's improvising with mass, which yeah. has to follow certain rules. Yeah. Now so. she's breaking a lot of rules. Yeah. She breaks, well, I don't know how much rule she breaks in track six, but I will say track six is definitely up there in one of my favorites. Uh, but I still think track four is winning it, but this is for different reasons. Hatshepsut, who, by the way, was the fifth pharaoh of Egypt. Good to know. Um, Very good to know. This starts out, so we've had drum lines before and mentioned them, and this starts, what sounds to me at least, like a very clear drum line intro, but Steve pointed out that very early on it feels militaristic, especially with that connection based on the name. Hatshepsut, like a mighty ancient Egypt going to war and intimidating their enemies before battle, because... It's not just a drum. Like that first drum, you don't mess with that drum. <laughs> it, it's 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 terrifying, but it's got so much force. It is actually invigorating, which is why I think I, I think I appreciated this track because I wanted to go back into the world that she had set up. And sometimes what happens with me is when tracks like, you know, I was kind of silent at the last track because I love track four so much, Mm -hmm. right? And that sometimes happens where I get a track like track four and it's like, ah, now you're appealing to my vanity. You're appealing to my (laughs) tonality and all of that stuff. And then I'm like, am I gonna be able to go back to that that rhythmic exercise that is so unique here on this record? And this track kind of did it. Right. We went back to it. The only, the tones that we do bring back, of course, are bizarre. And that's where this track really takes off in being, again, just really a a Jalen sort of experiment. 36 seconds in, you get that trance tone, that like trance parabola that totally removes me from the Egypt era. But it's... (laughs) It's almost like a Hans Zimmer tactic where there's always going to be an electric guitar no matter how symphonic it gets. Right. That's kind of what this is. That's Yeah, right? it's very it's right much a cliche sound that like I associate with a lot of dubstep actually has that sound. Yeah, as a but trance dubstep. And then after that, after that it starts pounding this buzz, 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 yeah. buzz, and that's very, you know. The fade down, not even with the follow-up buzzing, but the fade down becomes kind of a driving force on this overall piece like it becomes sort of a another one of those transitional linchpins because it shows up in subsequent like transitions from a to b or from a to a prime or back to a and whatnot so it becomes a safe space as much as it seems to be aggressive there's a lot of other aggression going on it's aggressive when it's introduced but then surprisingly and again this was just surprising because i did not expect that to be the thing it was the thing it became the foundational element whereas a drum line had been the element 
because that slam march, that's what I'm going to call it, the slam march that we were introduced with, and the, the Yankee Doodle drummer that we get, because it's not just that, it's the snare on top of it that adds to that militaristic feel, that as we're going along, we get, we get that fading driving force, which keeps restarting itself. It's almost like we're getting a repetition of an A section going on there, or A primes going on with it, just to put home a very militaristic feel, but it gets broken up almost like on a on like a dime with a shrill whistle, and it's like the tempo gets cut in half. Well, the whistle brings us to absolutely nothing. At first, I didn't know where we were going. It was like a minute 35, and yeah, I didn't know, I, I certainly did not expect what we got. Because from the drum line, from, yeah, militarism, you get a slow jam. And this was, like, the pace had totally changed here. I mean, well, not really. The pace is the same, but we're not nearly as dense. You could put, like, Roy Orbison over this if you wanted. I mean, if you're counting this in 12, you might as well just count it in 3, but in 12 it would be, like, 1, 4, 6, 7, 10, probably even slower than that. But... That was bizarre. It didn't last for that long. It lasted for maybe, I don't know, 10 to 20 seconds, but it was one of the most, the more stark changes on this entire album. Uh, and I liked it. I liked it. It kept Hatshep so interesting using, again, the, the, the structure, the, the textures that she sort of started out, out with, but now she's both exaggerated and chopped down at the same exact time. That's really unique. And then quickly, of course, it does build back to chaos. We're back to, I guess, what John called the A. It does bring back the, the militarism. We feel that drum line again, full force. And it's like, well, what happened there in the middle? I was okay with it, though. It was a nice little oddity. But I didn't feel the military was back. I didn't, I didn't feel like it built back up to militaristic drum line. It felt like more like a, a marching band, a true marching band. All right. There All was right. a That's playful fine. flair to it that was missing in the first section that this felt like it was just pure momentum of, of just enjoying the drum work. Well, and I would I would also agree with John in that sense because the whistle does come back during this part, but it's just intermingled at this point within the heavy percussion and the drumline feel. Um, and then Steve actually pointed out something that I had missed on the first couple of listens, but you even get an encroaching kind of gong sound that rings out during it. Yeah, and, and it's really that, it's the aftermath of the gong that's really noticeable. The initial strike kind of gets lost in the mix, but it's that that essentially shh, like the, the crashing sound after, after the fact of it vibrating that you really hear, which is really an interesting addition. It's and, all these things that I think as much as we want to bring it back to the drum line or to like a more militaristic drum line you just don't find these little elements in them in which case if it were that it's like a rogue drum line like <laughs> like they're like a cult or something and actually i've often heard people describe color guards as like being cults for the time that they were in them they could be very demanding but this was one of the harshest thirds for me the, the final third it was as much as i was thoroughly into the drum work and the rhythm section I noticed, I didn't really begrudge it, but I noticed heavily how repetitive it was getting. The repetition was of something I really, really, really enjoyed, but I wanted it not to do it so many times. Mm. Especially when the klaxion yeah. starts coming in and I'm getting that double pulse. Yeah, it I was, was... It was a little too far gone, but I, I'm... 
It's one of the few, few times where I'm saying the repetition is probably at its worst, but I'm so accepting of it. In yeah. the tracks that I really, really like on this album, as I do, in this case, I can ignore that. Yeah, same. I, I feel like to, it was... I needed to point it out, but I, yeah. I'm, I'm there with you. Yeah, I felt like it was more noticeable and more irksome in the previous track than here. Um, but now we're going to move on to track seven, which I, I would say, for me, and I guess you guys are sort of on the same page, is it definitely one of my favorite tracks on the record, as brief as it is. Um, um, well, close, close. But first, let's talk about the word calcination, because uh, there's some interesting little references here tying this with the next track. Calcination is like you're heating something to high temperatures in air or oxygen. Mm-hmm. Um, it also means a thermal treatment process in the absence or limited supply of air or oxygen applied to ores and other solid material to bring about thermal decomposition. Interesting. And it's funny because as a track, I, emotionally, it made me feel kind of very spiritual and kind of self-reflective, which, considering the explanation of it, sort of works. I don't know. It's weird. It's an emotional callback to Holy Child. That's, for sure. That's the big thing yeah. for me. And also, this is one area where, although I've been trying to avoid it, again, because of the uh, uh, wishy-washy, don't quite know whether... Like, it's actually Steel Mill inspired, whether the Gary Indiana thing really affected her music career. Don't know, but really couldn't separate it. This felt like a Steel Mill to me. That was sort of true in track four, and actually that part is amplified here. I I, I can't separate it. Like, I hear steam valves and heat and metal and all of those things. And I I, I guess the only thing I was disappointed with is you don't quite get the same uh, tonal... Link, or maybe I just wasn't affected the same way emotionally as I was back in track four, or maybe it's just the repetition of it that has diminished it in some way. And then, of course, the fact that it is such a short track, one minute and 38 seconds, I I, I don't think it accomplished a great deal more than other tracks, but it was a tie-in. See, and I would only disagree because for me and my years, as we've been saying quite a bit today, um, it impacted me more than 4 did, which is why, going back to 4 on subsequent listens, it just doesn't hit me the same way, because this track goes that extra step for me. And I don't agree that it being short was necessarily a problem. I think that it was just the right length. I didn't feel like... It didn't end and I didn't go, Oh, I wish there was more. Like, I didn't have that thought. I, I was satisfied by it. No. And I think the satisfaction is an important part here. That's not really the case with any of these tracks. Usually we're saying, like, maybe you could have lopped off the last minute. <laughs> so, well, that, I don't know. And so for me, I think because it was shorter, I feel like I didn't have to get to that moment where they could lop off the last minute. I'm, it ended where I thought it should. I could have always taken more of something like this. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of when I hit that moment kind of track where you're just you're experiencing. Moment yeah, I'm okay with that moment lasting <laughs> like hours. Like, who, who wouldn't be against that? But this one, I did not need more. Yeah. I just wanted more, and that's the sign of a good track. So... I've, I would also say that the ambience here really played to its strength. Because I'm putting down weird, like, like terminology for this one, like digital cracked Japanese vocalization. That's the only way I could describe. Oh, and by the that way, I should, I should mention that vocalist is uh, Halcyon Vale producer Fox. I believe that is the name uh, here because there is a a um, collaboration. The eerie, like. Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street kind of breath in the tapping and the shake echo work that's being done with there. This one was one that I truly just could not come up with concise descriptors. Right. And I love that. Yeah. And that's why it's my second favorite because, no, I'm still in there. Holy Child, Holy Style, it's still the one that 
I guess I got more out of it. I'm a little more of a glutton because I get to, I guess so. I get to experience it more on track four purely from a time standpoint. Right. But, but I think this the, one was a great second contender for it that, that yeah, kind of condensed itself into a moment, even though it's over a minute long. I will, I will agree that the vocalization did take me to more of a solid place. Maybe I would say even almost Japanese aesthetic, maybe a cherry blossom feel. Uh, I'm just not here with these specific things with this track. I uh, we watch a lot more anime than you. <laughs> yeah, yeah that could so. be part of it. Wow. This is sort of, but this is sort I've of like I've clearly Tokyo. watched the element far more times <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. than you two. Well, with that city kind of deep work in the beat work, this is more like a Neo Tokyo instead of just like regular right. Tokyo. But, but but that said, I didn't also <laughs> jump into those Im- those images super strongly. Mostly it was an emotional impact This was. This was an actual locational transportation as opposed to an emotional one, and that's why it's not quite the first on my list. And I'm I think, John. And, I, and I think that's, and it, it's continuing to prove what we had stated earlier that we are very much interpreting these in very bizarre and different ways. And that you're supposed to be true. the emotional guy, and you're supposed I'm to be the there, man. Me, 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 me. I'm the storyteller. I'm the one that comes up with the weird locations. Track eight, <laughs> carbon seven, one six one. All right, cool thing here. It can't exist, or at least it's not a stable. Isotope. It's not even stable compared to some of the other unstable carbon isotopes. Like carbon eight has an extremely short shelf life in that it kind of explodes. <laughs> kind of explodes? Like the There's the, no kind of. Well something it, it, explodes or it doesn't. It has to do with strong nuclear forces, weak nuclear forces, and I am not a physicist or a chemist or anybody who would understand this to the extent that I need to understand. But something like carbon-7 would exist for an instant, and I mean that kind of literally an instant because carbon-8 lasts all of like 1 to the 10th. 2 times 10 to the negative 21st power. Of seconds, which of is seconds. of which is a very small number. That's uh, twenty-one zeros before you get. So to zero. if you catch it in time, then it won't explode. Carbon seven <laughs> is is I don't even think if it's a, it's a recognized form of carbon because like if you if you dissect it, it's six protons, one neutron, six electrons. Which, you got your 6 to 6 ratio, protons and electrons, sure, but you'd need more than one neutron to hold together that atom for even a, a fraction of a second. If, if this, say for example, if um, a normal, like, carbon-12, which is what we find everywhere, it's what our DNA uses, is what our cells use, is what everything living uses, if you replace that with carbon-7, you would explode. There would be a lot of energy output as the, the molecules themselves just come apart. But you would just instantly explode. So the thing that was confusing to me is, of course, carbon-7-161, that would be one proton, six neutrons, one electron. Which is but actually yet, an isn't isotope. an actual carbon-7, like, six, one, isn't that 616 or something? Yeah, 161, it would be uh, hydrogen-6, which is an isotope of hydrogen, which can actually exist in stars. That's about it. It's it's another one of those things that is kind of out there. I th- I think the one six zero one might be a play on the six one six of the terminology you would get in chemistry or physics about carbon seven. I okay. don't know. This is a weird <laughs> weird thing. It is very weird. I'm not exactly sure of the reference or the reason for the reference. I, I assume it has something to do with calcination and the fact that it's a chemical reaction of a kind that maybe she's proposing that I'm supposed to sort of glean some kind of analogy for. I don't have the material yet. I simply don't. Uh, I kind of just go, science. Got it. Uh-huh. It's never that. Science is so Science awesome. is fun. You got to read into it. But I won't hear. <laughs> so I will just focus on the music in this case. And that is, I, if you get like the first half 
of a steel drum strike. If you, you just like took the first half of it, you clipped it down, and all you got was just this first little bit. It's an interesting sound because you want to hear the full thing, and uh, you can't even really define it as necessarily being a steel drum after you chop it down that first half. But it's neat, and that's the sound bite that's used, and it's this funky little thing. It gives this sense of electronic fluttering almost. A little bit. It's, um, I, I honestly, I think it was one of the tracks that I thought pulled away from its, like, core soundbite a little bit. I mean, it's still there, but it doesn't retain its character as much. And thus, I couldn't find the same character just within this track as a whole. I mean, a little bit of my struggle with it. There's no shortage of soundbites, though, because we get these sparkly chime sounds throughout, kind of warbling wave sounds, even the bell ring we've heard before, but very stark here in moments. But not a defined one, like something that defines the track. Right. It's a, it almost feels like a mishmash a little bit. Yeah. Actually, I I was thoroughly enjoying this piece because of how and this is going to be the flip side for something like Holy Child or Calcination, how devoid I was emotionally. This wasn't an energizing track. It wasn't an emotional track. It was kind of a malaise track, kind of a background just release track for me because everything is focused on the decay so much of this track is fading downward uh, as as we go from higher pitches to lower pitches or mid-level to lower pitches and as it hits the lower pitches we get a lot of stuttering and stopping and just a loss of that instrumentation for even if it's only for a moment the chimes were one of the few things that actually rose during the track and they were used fairly sparsely to be sort of a, a bell ringer for a transition point to something else not necessarily a different section but a different part of the section or a, a, a return to home and I love these return to home feels but because of how passe this was how backdrop this was and how unintrusive it was it wasn't trying to do anything so in much the way way we had mood enhancers for me earlier that weren't really speaking of, of anything specific but merely making happy better or making sad more this was this was a retardant this was making emotions less this was putting me in a numb space and i really did not expect that Having a piece on an album that did the opposite of what so much of the rest of the album did, but I still felt was attributing itself to the the formulas I, I've noticed in this album of the idea of contrast. Because when we do go from uh, section to section, the changes are about as complicated as they were in Holy Child, which, as I, as I wax eloquence, is my favorite track. Here, because you had so much fade off, you had a chance to decompress from what you just experienced. You had a chance to really contemplate it. And this very contemplative and emotionless area was surprisingly impactful for me. I don't know how else to describe it, but it really did hit a a chord with me that I didn't quite understand. And to put it in place with the rest of the album, it is a it's it's an outlier for me. It is a weird section of the album for me but i think that's what makes it such a crucial track for me in that like holy child like even calcination it was a chance to get away from all of the energy that at times was a little bit overpowering i i just i can't i can't get away from it it was a great decompression well i i will say that that reasoning is no less coherent than my reasoning for why the early tracks 
sense of hollowness should be to their advantage right. when we almost never say that about any track. And yet, it was. Right. Thus, we go back to the same thing as before. There's very little that can be said objectively about this track. I, uh, excuse me, about this album. But, but, I was still moving along to this track. I just wasn't attached to it as much as others. And, you know, this track was uh, 4 minutes and 14 seconds. Where's the last track? Calcination, which was also a little bit on, on the fence with. That was pretty short. Uh, and thus, I guess I could at least give it the pass. And that did reference Holy Child. This wasn't referencing any of those things. I thought there was... Mainly my problems in this track were structural. I mean, I, I thought that it, like I said, pulled away from its core soundbite, if there ever was one. And the vocalizations, too, also felt pretty arbitrary to me. Uh, but that's the risks with a creatively freer album. I, you know, I just... Uh, something was less compelling. I, I couldn't really explain why. Yeah, and... You know, I'm kind of somewhere around where you guys are, but I felt like that hit me harder and stronger in track nine, Nandi. Because here we kind of focus in much harder on the vocalization, and I don't know, I don't feel like it was necessary. You know, of course the percussion's there and it's pervasive because that's what the percussion does pretty much the majority of the record. Um, but I feel here we really do get more vocalization than maybe I even wanted. Yip, 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 yip. <laughs> Essentially, it did sound like the yip yips from um, Sesame Street. Well, there was no ahas. <laughs> or nopes. Nope. 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 This is the music from the aliens, from the yip yip aliens planet. Yeah, this obviously. Is what they, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is their daily. It well, just, it felt, the, the sense of repetitiveness that John really struggled with in earlier tracks here and there, I felt it more here. The intensity of the count was so much more than the actual intensity of the rhythm section. Like it was, it was really just putting out there one, two, one, two. Like I felt rumbles afterwards instead of rhythm. Almost like a marching. Yeah, well, the marching is nothing new. Right. But that steady one, two count that I was really feeling was a bit of a surprise. So. The bottom register, especially when it steps in in, in in the major section that we get, it's got some a little bit of speed. It's got a little bit of vocalization. But the bottom register is really the focus of it. And that was the curious effect that was going on. The higher register, the, the taps, the clangs, the metal edges, the plastic squeeches that we were getting earlier wasn't showing up. It wasn't becoming the character. So having such a heavy focus on the deep chords is a bit of a switch because they're just not as complicated and for me just not as interesting as when we're getting a lot of cool rhythm changes, when we're getting a lot of cool tempo uh, bugger abouts like we're just they're just screwing with us here it's it's we're getting we're not getting screwed with I mean there is a moment that stands out to me a little bit and I did feel like I was getting screwed with in this one moment because there's a vocalization that I would swear sounds like a, ma a deep male voice going I agree I heard that and, too, and, and we all did, and that's what was so strange was, because was, nothing else on this album like is saying words so articulately either. So I feel like maybe it's nonsense that almost sonically sounds like I agree, or maybe it was. It reminded me of it's a slight tangent, but I was playing uh, a game called Dark Souls with uh, friends of mine online, and there are these orbs you can buy that serve no purpose other than when you throw them in the air, they have this deep voice, and they say. Short phrases like, I'm sorry, mm. or yes. And this felt like that, this random kind of arbitrary moment. 
Well, there was other little odd effects that were a little bit... They felt arbitrary as opposed to earlier. Earlier, we got textures of chimes or vocalization or things like that showing up. Here, we're getting we're getting very, very spaced out touches of texture, of additional color uh, outside the normal rapidity of the rhythm that I already said wasn't really making much of an impact. When you just keep doing that, you're you're not really adding that additional layer. It feels more of like an ad hoc approach at adding that texture, at adding that colorization. Here, the vocals became the most annoying. As much as the yeah yeah yeahs earlier, the later yup yup yups, <laughs> the ve- the last two thirds really just kind of got blanketed. Even though it wasn't yeah. a blanket work of that vocalization. I just couldn't get away from it when they showed up really heavily. I don't know. I might be actually a little bit on the opposite front with this with this track, where actually the later parts surprisingly may have been a little bit more interesting to me. Maybe but just because I was not as impressed with the beginning stuff here. Like, that wasn't, you know, the yip-yip stuff. It didn't hold my attention. Um, there was certainly the, like, you know, head-turning moments, like the guy saying, I agree. It was really more just like, did that guy just say I agree? Did yeah. he really? Did he really do that? Well, that's like a, a- jump-the-shark moment. But then there are moments of beauty that come in later. I really liked two minutes and 20 seconds. This was like the vocals, those little, I know it's one one vocal sound bite, but they overlap. And they do that like almost chord thing where they're almost trying to build towards something. Maybe it's just an interval. And they like want to add some more tonality to the piece, more sweeping tonality, and they don't quite get there. It was interesting because also the humanity is is boils down to the breathing in the background. It boils down to just that sense of there being someone who's, you know, running or, or I don't know, just living. I, maybe that's all it is. It's that abstract of a track. It's, it's life itself. We're having all these things about the almost not quite can't exist as DNA last track, so Carbon 7. So I, I really don't know exactly what she's going for. I'm not going to try to read into it that far. I do... I, I will would say, though, that this track succeeds where some of the others fail and exactly the inverse at the same exact time. doesn't really add more, much or take away much. I'm, I, yeah, I'm kind of left kind of just with more questions than answers, though you could say that for the album as well, depending on how you look at it. But I definitely felt that this track was less expressive to me. I don't know. At least in even the other tracks where I felt musically I was missing something, there was at least some sense of self-expression, maybe with the exception being track eight and this one. Um, this one more so, though. I just felt like... This one left me kind of asking not only why for the song, but why as far as for her work. You can ignore Ark when there's self-expression to smack you in the face. Right. Um, And in this case, it just didn't do that. No, not at all. Track 10, 1%. Glitch. Oh, finally, we've gone into the realm of glitch because we've been hinting at it very heavily with some of these sound bites. Before I get to but, the glitch, because it gets really glitchy, really, yeah. really glitchy later on, but I just want to mention a couple of opening things here, and that's the fact that this is one of the few tracks that really does make use of sampling. Yeah. If you take sampling to mean, like, something from a movie or something from the telephone. That's what sampling is, yes. But, well, yeah, but remember I said in the beginning that she had kind of eschewed 
uh, sampling. They didn't really right. do that anymore, but that's for artists. So in which case, I think in that sense, sampling did mean for artists. She'll probably still take things from yeah, public domain material, if this is a public domain I thing. don't even think we it all, is. Yeah, well, it's under yeah, six that's, seconds. Well, oh, that's true. That's, usually, that's, that's usually the rule of thumb. So anyway, what Steve's talking about is a quote from the Red Queen in the first Resident Evil movie. Word for word taken and put in the song, as well as, I think, one other line from the movie as well. But this one gets stated in the beginning and then repeated at the end. You're all going to die down there. W- but with a better British accent than Steve's. Yeah, and it's a little girl. Thanks. And more I only do, I only do Cockney. That's, That's it. true. Um, but it was just, it was an odd choice to the fact that I went, oh, that kind of sounds like Resident Evil. And John went, no, it is. And <laughs> yeah, then I like, looked up the clip, yeah. and sure enough, it's the identical clip from that scene in that movie. So, Glitch, all right, we're, for those of us in the pop culture, no, yes, it is a scary movie with a robot AI just showing up and telling people they're going to die. All right, so let's go aggressive glitch. Right. Aggressive. And I really like how just borderline visceral it gets because it's still glitch. It's still got computer stuff going on right there. So visceral still feels a little bit too chunky and meaty to be the proper descriptor for it. But it is that aggressive nature that I think was kind of missing from the rest of the album, but very much hinted at in so many parts. Well, it's also a harsh return to that uncanny valley feeling and that quote doesn't hurt it either but this does feel very synthetic which is the point especially if you're quoting a rogue AI in a movie but I don't know what to make of the telephone thing I mean that just sounded like that ubiquitous thing you always you know uh, we're sorry (laughs) your call cannot be completed if you feel you've reached this recording in error well that could play into it if you're picking up a phone to call for help and you get that that could be bad uh, that's the- newsworthy if 911 <laughs> pulls that on you. But some of the things that are going on here is that we're getting a lot of rapid, almost echo work with uh, the tones that are being used, but absolutely no pitch change work, mm-hmm. which I really liked. As simple as the idea sounds of you're not even changing what the tone really is presenting, the fact that it is so insistent is what's adding to that aggression. Add in a little bit of touch of sirens, especially a siren rise that really goes long upwards, that ushers in just a lot of emotional punch for me. I don't know if the thing you call the siren is what I was identifying um, at a minute and 19 seconds because it was something a little bit more... Mm, it didn't punch. It was more of an undercurrent, a disturbing undercurrent. I have actually used this comparison maybe once or twice before, but it sounded like that it was totally the whales from uh, Star Trek IV. Uh-huh. No, home. it wasn't that part. Okay, yeah, it was that's not the that later part. part. That's it the later this, part. Okay. This so one was more of a plaxian kind of a thing. Like, it, it's it's trying to denote warning in the track. Okay. Well, the part I'm talking about, it's, first of all, I should say, it's not just whales. If you just heard whales, that's okay. But whales as if they were not in water, as interpreted by the giants, space probe who didn't care about humans and only wanted to talk to the whales. Well, that's because they're probably the most intelligent species on the planet, besides the point. Clearly. It goes through a lot of the sort of things I expect Glitch to do, but it does them so well. I'm thoroughly loving this track with a little bit of a hiccup that starts halfway through, but the recovery, in this case, like the hiccup that occurs that I'm kind of expecting to occur does not make the track fall apart for me. Because in the in the real last quarter of the track, there's just rhythmic screw-ups all over the place that are great. It starts bouncing, really, really heavily bouncing back and forth. 
And that ushers in a, uh, an ending that surprisingly feels superior than the original A section that it's doing. I am with you there 100%. The climactic glitch finale in this track is unique for this album in that it has a finale. It's yeah. not just that, you know, petering out, which although I defend in certain instances for certain album reasons... I recognize does not hold that sense of arc that you just want out of a studio track in your headphones. This has that. The galloping sensation here was just irresistible. That one through one through one through one through the end of this track may have been one of my favorite in this last stretch on the album. Yeah, and I'm in the same place on the finale of the track. And I think it's also interesting to note that you know, while this is not standout-ish from what we've gotten before as far as completely random and unexpected, I think the fact that she leaned so hard into Glitch was a little unexpected, but it, but not unappreciated. I think that leaning hard into this gave us a sense of almost, she's showing off a little bit, but in a very um, engaging, curious, and almost playful way. But Glitch is part of IDM, and this is just showing that... Uh, I think the album is actually turning more IDM in these last three, four tracks of it. Because what we got here in the 1% really is just a subset of what IDM eventually became. And what we get in the next track, Never Created, Never Destroyed, that actually kind of nods towards what IDM stemmed from. Because it's hip-hop. Yeah, it, it, the, it's hip-hop, but with a heavy electronic twist... Not that that's not been done in hip-hop before, but I definitely get a sense still of the connectivity from previous works on this album. That said, it's also, I think, almost tongue-in-cheekly overusing cliches that you hear all over hip-hop music, especially electronic hip-hop music that uses sound bites and the like. This feels... I the, the, the word I chose was it's impressionistic. It's impressionistic hip-hop. It gives us the shadow play of what hip-hop does without actually delving into the genre itself. Right, because we should be specific also that it's hip-hop beat work and, and rhythm and... Um, melody-ish, but there's no actual lyrics or rapping here. Well, we have an influence, and the hit, the influence is Cape Town producer Dope St. Jude, and maybe that helped to kind of just push this toward that direction. Um, there's, there's precious few, but, well, like three or four featured artists on this record, so, you know, it could be that that's... It, it still sounds like, at the end of the day, she really is making all of the final calls here, but... It's not something that, like, weirded me out on this album, that she would suddenly go hip-hop. I feel like there's always been that kind of parallel since the beginning, uh, but just that it's a little bit more rhythmically focused. Um, yeah, the childish voice I thought was a little bit silly, kind of like some of the earlier vocalizations on the album that didn't do as much for me as some of the others. Uh, if I could try to... Like I guess to translate or what I'm hearing, it sounded like ying 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 yamana mana 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 snick snick. That's what I heard. Um, sure. If, whatever that does <laughs> yeah, for you, yeah, you know. Yeah. So maybe that that's what you want. But there was one little soundbite I do want to call out, only because it's it's at the point where it's going to be used in like an Austin Powers type of a movie. The bwomp bwomp noise, the 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 klaxon that rises and falls. The, the it's it's sort of like we're about to fight level of music. The it's going to show up in the next Mortal Kombat kind of a thing <laughs> because it's already showed up in the last three Mortal Kombats. It, it's it's definitely interesting that this was essentially a soundbite fest, soundbite galore, if you will. Um, I think that 
the idea here is to kind of give it a a more produced feel, but not necessarily a more robotic feel. Here yeah. it still feels more natural, but there's definitely a production level here that I think comes from the integration of all this. I could, I feel like you could probably go through this with a fine-tooth comb. I don't recommend it, but you could. <laughs> and pick out, that's a chorus, that's a hook, that's a breakdown, here's your bridge. Like, you can probably identify where there. those parts yeah. are going to be. And you'll probably find a couple of each of them. All honesty. Because it, it, it is still enjoyable. I really did get into it, but it was a shallow investment on this hey, one. I was trying to establish sections, you know, earlier in the album, and you were just kind of shooting that down simply because you didn't see them. They were there. They're probably there here, too. But it's it's more of a moment game at this point. Yeah. It's not about, like, yeah, I just love when they go back to that section. There was a, uh, the bass, of course, at about a minute in was like an industrial honk. I, I wish that stuff was more present at this stage, simply yeah. because it's shocking. And at this level at this at this stage in the game it's just the shock value is really holding it it's holding yeah. it together and i'm not saying that's an that's a flaw because i think the composition has already been established and it's still a composition unlike i've seen before but even the composition itself you know any kind of composition i believe cannot hold muster for the length of 45 minutes whatever i mean i would argue against that only that it would have to be a pretty impressive composition uh, and art and and overly detailed probably as well. Um, that said, here I think that and and I think we even get a better sense of it in the final track, which we'll go to in a moment. But I think here for sure, um, I'm kind of in the same place as Steve. Like I'm definitely getting some semblance of enjoyment out of it, but I'm not enjoying it on the level that John is. I think I am a little this piece or in general. I think overall the album I'm a little fatigued at this point, but for sure in this track I feel like. It, it I, I'm back to feeling kind of whelmed. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying the track, but I don't feel like this track specifically speaks to me on a higher level as other tracks had. I, I, yeah, I, I guess I'm pretty much there. Um, Which I just respect her, I, her seeking out new things. I would, I wish it was a little more abundant in the last stretch, but it could be, it could be just album fatigue. I don't yeah. know. I'm, I'm open to that, uh, to that possibility. Track twelve, challenge. In parentheses, to be continued. And this is where the fatigue hits me really heavily. Because I, was, I wasn't, like, super invested. I will say, yeah, track 11 was a little bit shallow on the enjoyment side. This one, this one was the one that really just made me go, all right, I'm tired of trying to think dance around this album. Well, and there's, I think, a really strong reason for that. To me, this track toys with the idea of almost a conclusionary summary. And let me explain why. We're hearing specific sound references that I feel like we've heard, at least in moments, in previous tracks. There's a tribal feeling here, again, that shifts to a drum line that up, kicks up into intensity that then becomes more dancey. And you get the whistles and that kind of call in the next section or the next stage of drum line work. It, yeah, I get it. I, it's It's... Interesting. I, I, I do want to say that maybe one thing that was a little bit different was the very first section. Mm -hmm. The very first section of this track was did not really define what the track turned into. And that was that of almost, I could swear there was like an orchestra there. It was mm -hmm. like for the first few seconds, it was like a spell was being cast, and I thought it was going to turn into something different. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying I was necessarily disappointed, because I'm not where you guys are with this track. I mean, you're set oh, up... Oh, don't lump me in with John. I'm okay. not quite there. All right, all right. Mm -hmm. Then I'll just speak for me. And in that case, 
I I was actually really thankful there was a track like this on the record, uh, on the end, it, at the very, very end, because I almost at this stage expected what I usually get from other albums, where whenever I feel even the slightest bit of album fatigue, even if it's not fatigue, because I think I'm just kind of using that word because you used it, <laughs> I, I really don't think it's fatigue. I think it's just a case of I... I in being shown what a extremely capable artist can do, and now I want more of it. And how much more can you expect? A lot of times she's just staying at that level. And not an album doesn't necessarily need to be this persistent rise. I, I likened this to an experience that we had in another album, uh, an album we all rated pretty highly, and that was uh, episode 181's FFS by FFS, in terms of the experience, how, like, it's just pop rock tracks, really, you know, the fusion to Franz Ferdinand and Sparks. But, like, they seem to get progressively more intense. I had never heard a pop rock album constructed that way, a pop indie rock album that is, like, just ramping it up with every single track. And I think that just... That, that sent me on this strange uh, love fest with this out al- with that album, which I, I'm not sure if I like lowered ever so slightly at the year in review just because I was like infatuated at that prospect, maybe even more than I was the music. But I do think there was a lot going for just that setup, and that's enough. It really is enough. And I think this album it, it proposed doing that until it didn't. It makes you really <laughs> want it again. Like it makes you you want it back because she often does that with in in lesser degrees within each track they get more and more intense or then they plateau but here at the tail end i i knew that it was an overall album plateau until this last track because this was the most intense track i think hands down didn't make it my favorite didn't make it the best track in the album but it was a finale and i've been deprived of song finales track finales so Thank you. I have an album finale, and that does that is worth some points. Don't know how much yet. And and I'm on this, in the same place that Steve is as far as I enjoyed the way this track wrapped up the album because yeah, I did feel like I was kind of left hanging track after track after track. And so for this to kind of be a summary and 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 not only be a summary of the album but summarize on itself too, the track was very closed. Um, which is funny to me considering it's titled Challenge To Be Continued. And we did live out one important thing. We did get clear vocalization again here because this track also says the word challenge, but challenge which is, several times, which, which is I, clearly saying challenge. I really enjoyed that as a crux point to transition from one idea to the next Yeah, because it also did a lot as it's a drumline face-off. Yeah. That's what it is. Yes, and that, I think, was a good representation as a summary for the album. And I know that's where Matt's coming from. So, you know, I it may not be my favorite. It may be a little bit fatiguing for me because of, I guess, because of the same reasons why Steve likes it. It is a finale, but it's a big, grand, almost boisterous kind of finale for the album. And I think that's where I was I was enjoying a little bit of the energy let off as we w- progressed along. We weren't so intensely getting overcharged over and over and over again as what we did on the first three-ish tracks and interspersed here and there. But as a whole, it did close out the album and it did kind of cement what I, I, I want to say the arc is for the album because you got a flavor of just about everything that came before so you kind of saw the cohesion as well as the deviation from track to track put there right there in in track 12 challenge and i have 
I guess I've got no more to say on this track other than its representation as the album as a whole. It does a great job of kind of summarizing how I feel because there's good parts and there's a, there's great parts and there's a lot of things in between those parts for me. And it's primarily in, I want to say the middle third of each of these tracks that I find like the crux of a really great idea being flushed out. Sort of like a B into a A prime. That's, that's a formula that's used on this album quite a bit. And it shows that this artist knows where to go and knows how to tie it back in together, which is something that in electronica in general, in IDM, I find to be a, a big problem for a lot of artists. They don't know where they're going, but they're going to get there. So how they get there leaves a lot of middles in sort of a limbo zone as you're going, well, why'd you bring that in if you weren't going to reference it with your outro? Why'd you bring that in in track two and make it a theme of three if that never really shows up again for the rest of the album? Well, she, she has a great job with her cores. Her cores are, are really a glue that hold together beginnings and ends, and that's something that, that that's just an issue, I guess, across the board with a lot of a lot of electronica in general, you you sort of meander through it. And we don't meander here. We're always just moving forward. And that I appreciate. But with a lot of lackluster endings, which I know in, as we said before, the in the CD scene, in the soundtrack scene, in the album scene, can be wearing. But one thing Matt brought up was that in Spotify, you can have an overlap kind of a play going on where you make it track by track mixed together in those outros, that probably would work. That probably would be a great DJ-oriented, a great live experience. And this album definitely feels like live, remixing, we would get astounded. We would just experience something completely unique, track by track from from concert to concert. So maybe I'm, I'm seeing this as a concert concept that became an album. And one of the things that I think up front, Steve was talking about the movement and the dance associated with it. That's not something I've ever really gone to IDM for. It's it's not something I really associated with intelligent dance music. It, it they always have been the boards of Canada. The the let's be thought provoking. Let's have a cerebral. Rubik's Cube experience about it. Let's try to puzzle this out and really see the the multi-dimensional aspect of it. So for her to be able to integrate a lot of movement into it, even if I wasn't personally, you know, bopping my hips to or or swinging my arms to, it's it's refreshing. It means she's she's integrating sort of the progenitor with the child here. She's, she's bringing it back to the electric roots it, it, was, it was founded in. So that kind of is a throwback at something new. I'm, I'm going to credit her for doing something that is a little bit out of left field for calling this an IDM. But still, I'm not super invested. It, this is going to be a subjective review. This is going to be a subjective number. Because objectively, it's hard to qualify a lot of this stuff. It's hard to quantify a lot of this stuff. I don't really feel like we're going to have that, quote, checklist that we've been able to use in so many uh, other albums. It's it, This is something because it's trying to evoke 
energy, emotions, feelings, and locations without being explicit, it's hard to really say that is true, that is false. You can only really say, I feel. So I feel that this album doesn't quite hit that four, but it gets pretty close at a 385. It's really good, and I, I love so much of it, but I feel like there's a lot of parts, especially towards the end of tracks, where I'm already hitting play next. All right, my turn. Um, I mean, I said at the start of this review that instantly this album felt more approachable for me than most electronic music that's been brought on the show. Um, and I still feel that way. I feel like overall, musically, there were no head scratchers as in, I don't get it. Why, how is this music? Like, <laughs> I never really had that moment. Whereas, but those are the fun ones. <laughs> so, where some of our other electronic artists, I kind of scratch my head and go, music. You know, um, and, and I never really felt that here. Um, I definitely felt engaged for a lot of the record. Um, there's no denying her talent to mix and create uh, musicianship in a place where you might not find it otherwise. I mean, the kind of drum work that's here on this album the percussion is insane at moments and also in most cases when we have this kind of percussion we would go a it's repetitive or b it's it's impossible to follow but that never felt like the case on the entire record for me really um you know i, I mean as far as arc and theme goes you know i think we fall victim to it, it it being a very subjective album, you know, John's not way off with that, you know. There aren't a lot of things we can concrete say other than compositionally what she did. As far as what we feel and what we take out of it, that's a little more open to ter- interpretation. But, you know, unlike John, I, I am fitting this into my checklist the best I can. And while arc-wise, I would say musically... There's consistency throughout. There's never a moment where I go, what the F is this doing on here? That never happened. Um, thematically, it's dark. I don't know. I mean, I never really got a lot of emotions from it. And I'm asking a lot of questions here because I was left with quite a few. But emotionally, I didn't really connect to a lot of this. And I don't know if maybe it's because just electronica is not a thing that I find approachable or it's something on a deeper level. Um, but... What I will say about it is that I couldn't stop moving to most of this record. I absolutely could find myself dancing to it. And I don't even know if it's as much a club dancing thing and more a primal I need to move to this music feeling, which was absolutely throughout. Even in the moments where it slowed down or became more spiritual or ethereal, I still wanted to move to it, whether it was slower or faster. That's really huge for me. Whereas a lot of other electronica albums and other albums in general that are mainly instrumental, I find myself lost in trying to find uh, some solid ground with the record. Um, I never felt at odds with this, except when it was forcing me to be. Those Uncanny Valley moments that absolutely were intended and I think very successful. Um, you know, as a whole, I definitely want to put this at a four, I think, because it's undeniable what she's doing here and what she's capable of. But, you know, and I have a feeling Steve might be in this camp too. I definitely wanted her to do more. I felt like there, we were always left wanting. The fact that the tracks never really wrapped up or had a conclusion or had a ending per se I think that would have made it more concrete but that said 
I would definitely go back to certain tracks. I don't think the album as a whole, but definitely certain tracks. Um, and I would definitely consider even putting some of these on a dance playlist because I really think it would get people moving. I don't know. It's just, for me, it's like, where do we go from here? And that's a question I was asked on every single track, just about. Ooh, yeah, but I think on an album as a whole, because of the way the final track wrapped up... That, I, was, that was the crux that kept it in the, yeah, above I, the 3-5. I, I really. feel like... It did, this album didn't really have to go anywhere else because maybe those left-hanging moments were to bring us to that final moment in 12. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys covered mostly subjective things because I'm going to try to focus on the objective for the first time in this analysis as much as I can in the wrap-up. Uh, one being, of course, the thing that I'm surprised we never really brought up the entire time, and that was the nature of the whole black origami experience, the unfolding of unknowns within this dark, mysterious world. And I found that to be interesting. I found it, I don't know if I adored it, but I found it to be extremely interesting. So thesis-wise, I think it fits. I think everything is serving that goal. There are so many unknowns, there are so many around the corners, and yet there is still a lot of linked connectivity within the tracks on this album. I don't know if this is an upper echelon piece for me, but it is easily above the fours. For no other reason than it masters rhythmic patterns without the need to burden itself in other stuff. Just clear the way because the spotlight is on the electronic drummer. And believe me, I like all that other stuff. Listeners know that chords, melodies, and color are really more my fields of interest, but maybe that's just because I'm numb to a lot of rhythmic sameness in even my favorite works. Once you break out of that, though, it's really just as dense of a category. Rhythm doesn't support everything else here. Everything else supports the rhythm. So don't laugh at me, but that's kind of a paradigm shift for me. And it's not the first of its kind I recognize, but it is so far with me the first to hold my attention in that category. Like, I love Bertolozzi's Tower Music, but I also know that the big selling point there, being that it was composed using the structure that is, you know, the Eiffel Tower, that's holding all the intrigue. This, there's almost, there's nothing else there to hold the intrigue. It, it, it's, it's just in a vacuum of its own experience, and yet somehow that's able to hold the attention. And as Matt said, I'm moving constantly to it. This almost validates what I so often call the prog problem, that ensuing sections are just improvised, scatterbrained blocks of stuff that only relate due to the chord progression and the other underlying rhythm. Phrase work and arc, though, are moot. That's both true here and not. There's like a subtle threading of hype, as it were, throughout the piece that maintains the energy, or at least the mystique, so that I'm more able to enjoy these sections, knowing full well that they're not all necessarily recalling a theme or expanding one. But they're not arbitrary pieces of new material either. These tracks are very signifiable front to back, and I can't say that for all prog tracks. So yeah, this was actually very inspiring to me, even just as a musician. It showed me that there are ways to just let go and yet at the same time not completely abandon process. I would have liked a little more at the tail end, but the experience is still very, very solid. I think just for the lack of focus on some of that other stuff, despite that it wasn't the focus of the album, and the lack of maybe wrapping up these pieces, despite that maybe that was really no intention to do so, I'm putting it above the four, but short of upper echelon, maybe a 4.3. All right. Wow. How about that? Um, what do you know? Well, what do you know? Um, yeah, I think 
it's interesting for us to be kind of at a loss for objectivity on this episode a bit because we haven't really encountered that as much. And I feel like, isn't that a strange thing to say about music, that there's nothing objective about it? And of course, there are things objective about this music. I'm, it's a little bit of hyperbole. But I think it's interesting to look at music and go, huh, this is completely subjective. Because that's, that's not necessarily true, but you can feel that way. There, no. there is sound. That, right. That's an objective truth. Uh, well, your, your whole... It's music? Right. Yeah. I, I think, but but still, even even when we've done avant-garde and other things, objectively, with Diamond, Diamanda Gloss, we were able to point out vocals, lyrics, instrumentation, pacing. And we're able, even through our subjective checklist of going, okay, those lyrics are good, and we can give, like semi-concrete kind of objective kind of subjective reasons why this grammar makes an interesting use of prepositional work even though we don't actually phrase it like that too often but it's like all right so you're going with an automatopoeia that's great right there because it actually does a lot of double and triple duty work to make that lyric stand out but some or might... the pitch changes of a vocalization is phenomenal because that is just humanly difficult to do so yeah, we get those little objective-subjective combo checklists to go off with this. That's why I make a lot of, you know, I, why I made a lot of references in this album about how rhythm is kind of just this oddball outlier because it's true that we tend to do those things, I think, a lot more for uh, melody and, and, and certainly lyrics. We all just have these strong opinions about all of those things uh, that sometimes are immediate. And yet, for rhythm, all right, maybe you could say you don't feel the beat. Maybe you could say some basic things like that. But at least we all agreed here that, yes, this is intricate material. And intricate is a relative word. We always know that it's relative because, sure, could some sections be more intricate? Absolutely, it's an inf- it's an infinite spectrum, right? Right. They could also be less so, and maybe that would be to their benefit. You know, to tone it back in a few instances. It's just so hard, and that's why we just kind of, at the end of the day, are just like there are beats, and there are bit there's this. I like that beat. I kind of like don't like that beat, but we really all kind of liked these beats. So then, what are we criticizing at the end of the day? That's why I described it at the very beginning as this like onesie pajama. Like, like where, you either wear it or you don't. You can't, like, you know, say I like that part of the item. Yeah, I think that... But what the question I'm kind of posing also here is, do we think the fact that... And this could be more generalized for music in general, but do we think that the, la- the, the struggle with objectivity made this album better or worse? Because I could argue that lacking some of that objectivity kept it from upper echelon but you could also argue that that's exactly why it was towards the upper echelon actually i would argue that the reason why last week when we did no enemies by flowbots i was almost definitely higher because my subjectivity of tending to value thing like intricate wordplay and social message and just the fact that we have two vocalists actually working on those raps and varying the raps and that sort of stuff. I, I think that definitely put me a few check marks ahead because it was fulfilling my criteria. I love that sort of thing. So if you present to me that sort of thing, I'm going to rate it higher. Fair enough. But I think, I guess the next step of asking something that may be more objectively obvious uh, is would that bring us closer together? Because if it's objectively 
if you look at it and it's it's A and it can only be A, shouldn't we all be more in line rating wise because it's all it, it's A, it's that thing? Well, no, because as as individuals, and this is not the three of us, this is society. Uh, people have different levels for different criteria for what they find to be pleasant and unpleasant. Mm. We have different grading systems of characteristics in that. Just for music, but in general, in what we find pleasing and displeasing. I have a certain type of woman that's different than yours, that's different than from Steve. And that type of individual we find attractive is not actually going to say that we only find those individuals attractive. Because my type might be A, and I might find B immensely gorgeous, and I might find someone who hits that criteria of A to just not be quite that same level. And that is a purely subjective thing. That has nothing to do with any of the quote-unquote reproductive imperatives that cause me to seek out a mate. Not necessarily, at least. Yeah, but then the second the human brain gets involved, you might, for inexplicable reasons, in, in order of succession from relationship to relationship, go A, Z, B, Y, C, yeah. X. <laughs> and that's, that's, and maybe, that, that maybe, further proves when you get to the middle there, I don't know what's with the 13th letter of the alphabet, then that one, M -M -M. that's marriage. Oh. 13 and 14 are M and N. There you go. Um, I mean, but but that's an interesting point, actually, because, you know, people, it's different to be objective about people versus art and things created. People argue, you could argue people are created, because they are, but it's not created in the same way I feel like art is created. Not yet. We don't, you know, on purpose do all of the DNA splicing. Right. But so I think with music, I think for me, what was interesting about this album and looking at objectivity and subjectivity in general is that... I'm not quite sure where my brain goes sometimes. Sometimes I, I, I would assume, had I not been posed with this album, I would always lean towards things that I, I'm sub I subjectively connect to. You know, you just reminded me of something. I recently saw the movie uh, Ex Machina. Right? Uh, about the AI that was mm -hmm. created and this guy goes mm -hmm. down to the island. It's a phenomenally creepy and incredibly made movie. It reminded me of a line from it where the AI, I, I needed to set up something for the yeah, audience yeah. for who hasn't seen it, but of course the programmer is down there to do the Turing test on the AI, right? right. Who's sitting on the other side. And they, of course there's this little crush thing going back and forth, developing between the two that you don't know whether is real or not. Nevertheless, the girl, who, the girl, AI is a girl, she says to uh, the guy, um, kind of turns around the test back on him and asks him a question, whereas he's been asking all the questions. And one of the questions she asks is, are you a good person? <laughs> and he, he kind of just like said, well, I don't know if I want to answer this. this that, that is opening a whole mess of Pandora's box, seeing as you're a machine, you're a walking lie detector. And, of course, the state of human condition, what constitutes a good person? Right. You'd like to think you are of course. by criteria that you invented. Right. So Society only the, has so much Where's influence. the objectivity there yeah. unless someone defines all of those things. Right. And uh, that's a little bit tricky. Right. And, but I feel like I have that experience, obviously not to the same existential level, yeah. but with music, you know, where, I mean, again, and, and I, go, I go back to albums that I failed to defend properly, you know, I know I liked it. Subjectively, I know I like it, but objectively, I can't prove it. Why? How come I fell short? And I think that this album is a thing that led me to better understand my process a bit and also, interestingly, allowed me to understand why I lean towards certain things because 
it's not cliche. There are very little cliches on this album as a whole, and so it allowed me to kind of take a step back at my own process. Except for this hip-hop. album. Except for the, the hip-hop one hip hop, which I thought was a great representation of hip hop. Right. But but that said, <laughs> overall this album doesn't give in to cliche, and so the things that I subjectively would turn my nose up to were nowhere to be found. So I had to rely on my own uh, mental capacity to analyze music a lot heavier on this album. That's why albums that I didn't identify with as much were way easier to define than I bring, this one. I bring goodies, don't I? Yeah, you're the worst. <laughs> Which is it's official. weird because I felt like I was... Pro- this is probably one of my least objective reviews yeah. in a while. Only because... I don't know what what boxes right. would even be present to right. start checking on this. Right. Like, what am I supposed to do? Okay, well, a lot of the stuff that I usually rely upon, um, and I'm not talking just like the lyricist or the vocals or anything like that, but a lot of the stuff like, okay, the the specific change of a tone the pitch bend that they throw inside of it. Well, that doesn't even exist on so much of this album. Yeah, you, you know, and another... certain things, certain things like taking a soundbite and doing it ad nauseum, where it's supposed to hit just a level of, well, can you just freaking move on? And I, that doesn't happen. Like, well, that's a check mark where I'm supposed to be, this is negative, and I, and I, and I go, check, yes, that's negative, except in this case, that's not in the negative column. Like, how do you do something like that? Yeah, similar experience. When you reminded me, like originally I said, well, of course, are you moving or not? Are you moving like for, for something IDM, intelligent dance music, you gotta be moving until John reminds me, well, that was never really the intent. But right. <laughs> Actually, IDM, you're supposed to be sitting in your chair. Moving. And yet it's like, a positive what? for you for this album, but, yeah. I, but against the IDM, it wouldn't be, technically. So, uh, different criteria, different problems. I think I just think it was worth talking about a little more at length. I think it was really well born out of this review. Um, because it, it's just, it's not often that I'm I'm I'm... We're not often enough challenged on the way we do things here, and so I like when it happens. I feel yeah. like sometimes, though, we need a break from that challenge because we put our feet in our mouths. But that said... It's, it's not often that you're also the one that goes the most like cerebral and trying to find the check marks, trying yeah. to find the boxes. Like, I, I try to find boxes. Hey, we, Steve, were, no, we were no Steve, slouches. Steve yeah, likes to go for the, you know, the big boxes, but you were, you were reaching, especially in the pre-listen, like the hardest to really try to get the... the the clinical definition. What does it mean? What does it mean? Anyway, um, that's enough of that. I think that uh, this is a good transition point after I made an ass of myself to ask Steve to give us our music term of the week. Muta. Say again? Muta. M-U-T-A. Italian? Any accents? Nah, just muta. There's it, no accents. No. Italian, French, German? Italian, Italian. Italian. Okay, that was close. Italian. Um, Italian. I'm not. Uh, uh, I feel like I feel like it's on the nose to say uh, be quiet. Yeah. Well, I knew you were gonna go there. No, I'm, no, it's on the nose. I'm not nah, going there. Not very wrong. Um, yeah. I would say muta is um, a, a sharp turn on a note for a horn to play. Uh, I would actually say it, it might actually be something similar, but a um, a note going from sharp to kind of muddy, like you're putting a muffler on it. Like flat almost. Mm, yeah, but see, then you would be leaning toward muted, and that comes from mute, which I already said was wrong. No, mute, I would. I thought it was like, just be quiet. Like, shut up. <laughs> it's the same thing. All right. It doesn't mean any of that. <laughs> you're not thinking of the word mutable as in to change in transition uh, into something? Well, muta... 
Like a like a like a, a, a simile for um, malleable. Uh well, no, mutable. I said mutable. I meant mutable. Right, well, <laughs> mutate. Well, malleable. I'm who mutate. knows if they're close. I don't know. Mutate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. Exactly. Oh. Perfect. We went too short on our root word. Yeah. yeah. There you go. So, what does it change? Well, I think there's two things that it changes. One is a change of instrument. In other words, what if you don't have a dedicated piccoloist? What if you just have a flautist who, at some point in the performance, there is a small piccolo part, right? And because he's a flautist and he's been playing flout all the time, flute, right? He he knows how all the other flutes work, and so he's got a little piccolo on hand. Well, in that case, in this particular piece, since it's not necessary to bring in a piccoloist from across the town just to sit there for a tiny little piece, then we can ask the flutist to do the job and muta, change his instrument to the piccolo when it is necessary. Or and violin, change viola, it back. or so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. but uh, anyway, then the other meaning. The other meaning, I think, is more in terms of changing the tuning. Like, for instance, if you put a guitarist, put a capo on at some point, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. Not that, you know, guitarists always manage their own affairs, in which case you'd never have this piece of sheet music sitting in front of them that actually is saying muta. They'll, they'll muta themselves. All right. But other people need the note. Well, all I can say is since me and John were both way wrong, I'm still winning. It actually says in the no. definition, note does not mean mute. Because <laughs> it knows you're all going to screw up. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're too short of a root word. We, we, you're we, not we winning. I am winning. Not, this I is not a competition. Right. Yes, it it's is. It's not a competition. Everything's I'm winning. A, everything's a competition. The Italian verb is mutare. Thanks. Mutare. That's different. That I might have been able to parse out to that. No, you wouldn't. No, because it's not muta. Like... Someone mispronouncing mute. <laughs> Such a BS. Yeah, a load of crap. All what right. are we doing next week? So, but actually, before we get into that real quick, I wanted to bring up, well, for one, um, we haven't gone through this rigmarole in the live recording, as it were, in a while. But, of course, um, we appreciate fan interaction on all of our social medias. If you have any questions, comments, or recommendations, please, of course, write us at admin at crashchords.com or any of our individual Crash Chords emails, which are all available on the website. Um, we are available, of course, on iTunes, Stitcher, and uh, Google Play. We are recently also added to TuneIn, which is a fairly new podcasting and radio site. I actually am a big fan of that right now. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's actually a really great site. Um, and also, um, I'm toying with the idea of creating Crash Chords t-shirts. Um, nothing set in stone yet, but if you'd be interested in purchasing merch, of Crash Chords variety, please let me know via email, on the social media. I'm just curious what the market looks like. Um, I've actually been wanting a shirt with the Crash Chords logo on it for a long time, and so one- Kind of just for us. For, yeah, right, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but making that happen, because I've already created a shirt for my other podcast, Fun and Games, as well as for my DJing, and so I'm trying to build out this online store, but I would love to get a Crash Chords shirt up there as well. So if that's something you'd be interested in purchasing for, say, 20 bucks, please let me know. I'm trying to market a shirt that says Steve. Good just luck. Steve. Just Steve? Fucking Steve. With multiple, e, with multiple E's, like Steve. Well, yeah, Steve has S-T-E-V-E. There's already multiple E's. Why do you have to add extra E's? I will include a period at the end. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny. It just was. Um, so actually, our next album takes half of our slogan in its album title. So I'm bringing us the band Flogging Molly, who I've talked about many a time on the show and I'm a huge fan of. Um, 
I mostly waited to bring them on because I wanted a brand new record. Um, I think they put out a record in the history of us doing the show, but it was fairly early on uh, called Speed of Darkness, and I just I didn't want to do it when we were so fresh. And I brought on so many other uh, artists that I treasured for you guys to ruin. So I figured it was only about time that I brought Flogging Molly on. And their album is called Life is Good, which just came out on June 2nd. And uh, so I'm... I'm excited about bringing Flogging Molly on because as far as Irish punk rock goes, they are in the top tier and they are um, very talented musicians. So I'm just interested to see what you guys think of this latest incarnation of their music because they tend to follow similar themes. Hopefully it's not what's happened with a lot of my other favorites from the top tier recently. Oh no, they're way better than Dropkick Murphys now. Uh, now? Well, yeah. I mean, Dropkick I was... was the penultimate back in the day. Nee. No, they were. Don't even start. Anyway. Rocky Road to Dublin? I dare you. Yeah, but they, they weren't the original people to do that. Yeah, but their version was the best. That's arguable. This is a preview Highly. of the arguments we're going to have <laughs> next exactly. week. As always, thank you for listening. We appreciate having you. I'm excited to bring this album on next week. And remember, as always, music is life. And, and life, life is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.